going up. Curtain going up. Places, please. Overture, stand by. Ladies and gentlemen, she comes to you from the cornfields of Indiana. She loves the Constitution more than she likes most people. Allow me to introduce Shouse in the House. Fabulous people, welcome to Shouse in the House. I have with me today Patriarchy Hannah. If you do not know her, um, you should. She's pretty spectacular. Uh, we It's interesting for the audience to know uh, prior to, I don't know, probably a month ago, Hannah and I were not actually like connected in any way, but I had heard her and seen her in different circles. We we had the same circle, but she and I were not directly connected. And so um, it just so happened we uh, bonded over a certain individual. And I'm actually going to, I don't I don't know if I'm going to even name that individual, but we bonded over a message that um, that men who are married to women don't ever ask that women, woman for their wife for permission um, to do things or for their input that that shows weakness or I don't know, some gobbledygook garbage of non-experience. And so he and I had a little bit of a bonding experience over that moment. And I was so blessed to get to kind of meet her. And now we are going to, um, have an entire episode, uh, for you guys discussing all things, feminism, patriarchy, um, a little bit of religion is probably going to mix its way in here. I would like for you guys to hear Hannah's story. It's a pretty remarkable one. And um, we'll just go ahead and get into some of that stuff. So Hannah, thank you for joining me. I am going to start off the show with um, kind of giving you the floor. You just started a podcast of your own. So I'd like you to plug that and where people can kind of come follow you and listen to you. And then I'd like you to kind of tell um, whatever version of your story, abridged, extended, however you normally share your story with people uh, about how you met your husband, um, your family, and all of that stuff. I would love to hear about that, if you don't mind. Okay, for sure. Thank you so much for having me. I do have a podcast. It's called Patriarchy Country. It's available on uh, right now, just Podbeam and Spotify. I submitted it to Apple, but I don't know. That seems to be like a whole process. Um, and they may not let me on. So, oh, well. <laughs> but um, <laughs> whatever. Um, and I'm at Harmonized Grace on Twitter. And I think you and I actually are in that that mom chat together. We are. But We're I, in mama chat together. And that's what I was saying. Yeah. Like, I, we are in the same circles. We just, like, weren't mutuals and hadn't ever like had a one-on-one conversation before yeah no but I had seen your your spaces like the liberty hour um I'd never like popped in it's so funny how that worked though because I didn't even know that you guys were talking about Pearl I literally yeah we were talking about you actually (laughs) yeah well right I didn't know that though I I just was bored and I was like let me pop in here because you know um because I know um Oh no, what's her name? That was co-hosting with you. Yeah, I know Lexi. I've done spaces with her before. And so I was like, let me jump in. And then y'all just like happened to be like discussing me and like my interactions with with her. So I don't know. God is funny that way, I guess. But um, 
Yeah, so I, um, okay, my story is, uh, I'll try and keep it concise. Basically, I was raised from the age of five on by my oldest brother, who's 17 years older than me. He took me and my siblings that are close to my age away from my parents and just never brought us back when we were kids. My parents were really abusive. There's a lot there. I was a victim of child trafficking as a child. Um, and so prior to I, being five years old when your brother took you away. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, yeah. So, um, so anyway, so he, yeah, he came, he took us and he brought us to where we live now. And, um, you know, we just like lived in this tiny little like duplex that was like two bedrooms. There's nine kids. And he put us in private school to like hide us and just total like boss move just all the way around um, on his part. And so that was, it, it was honestly, that sounds so chaotic, but it, my childhood past the age of five was relatively chill and not, I wouldn't say normal because it's not most people's story, but very, I don't have any complaints, you know, about it. And so, um, when I was 17, my husband, we, we moved to public school when I was in the eighth grade, just for the record. And then we moved to the suburbs. Previous to that, we'd lived in like a pretty rough neighborhood. But um, we, I, when I was 17, my husband who knew my brother and um, was kind of in his social circle approached him and asked if he could take me on a date. And my brother was like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> and... <laughs> But then he kind of started getting worried that I was going to rebel because I'd always been pretty, we had some pretty strict rules that, you know, were, I think um, a lot of people would view them as pretty harsh and restrictive, but they, they served a purpose. And again, I'm not mad about any of it, um, but I had never really bucked him. I always understood what the point was. And it was kind of like a family goal to just keep us under the radar and, you know, for me to graduate high school with good grades and go to college. Um, and so I'd never rebelled a whole lot. And he got kind of worried that I might start doing that. And his biggest fear was that I might end up pregnant and like dependent on a baby daddy. So he basically planned to run my husband off by putting so many restrictions on us spending time together that he would like lose interest. And that obviously didn't work out um but like <laughs> he was only allowed to he was allowed to spend two hours with me twice a week in our living room he wasn't allowed to call my cell phone he could only call the house phone he we were never allowed to be alone together I wasn't allowed to talk to him when I was on the phone like in his in my room I had to be in the common area he wasn't I actually allowed to really like all of these rules yeah, they're good rules. He yeah, like I don't to... see a problem with anything that you're saying at this <laughs> he, point. As a parent. He, he wasn't allowed to give me any gifts, um, except for mixed CDs, which my brother's so funny because he's like, "That's where I went wrong." But um, <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> so he, your husband spoke to you through music. <laughs> yeah, so he gave me mixed CDs, and he also gave me this like bouquet of flowers that was like crocheted by the inmates at Angola that they sold like before the rodeo, the Angola rodeo, the prison. 
So those are the only things that he gave me oh, <laughs> like, wow. at this period of time. Um, and so uh, he, he eventually was like allowed to drive me to church and allowed to pick me up from school a couple days a week where we had to come straight home. And there was like, a little bit of trust there, but then he, he proposed to me on my 18th birthday. So technically my 18th birthday was our first date. So he took me to New Orleans for the day. We spent the day together. And then when he brought me back home, he just, he proposed to me in our driveway. Um, and that was like the first day we kissed too. Um, and I, I would, that's not really necessarily like a moral standing. I think he just wanted to be really careful not to cross any boundaries in, because I was younger than him, not too much younger, but younger to make sure that he wasn't, um, you know, getting me into something that getting my heart involved in something that maybe I wasn't actually for. Sure. So he had asked my brother and my brother had agreed to let him propose as long as we wouldn't get married until after I finished my first year in college. And as long as he agreed that I would finish at least my undergrad degree. So that's, uh, that's what we did. We got married on Halloween in uh, 2006. And so we've been married, it'll be 17 years this year. And it's been pretty awesome. But I, you know, okay, hold on. I want to ask a couple questions before we go further. Okay. So first of all, how, like, it's so fortunate that uh, I got, I say that not tongue in cheek, I'm being legitimate. Like Mm -hmm. your brother Man, the the level of respect just in your story, the level of respect that I have your for your brother, I don't even know your brother. And yeah. um not only did he step up and take care of his family, but he also I mean like he extended that care for you. You know, like where he he didn't want to create limitations for you in your future and your relationship with your husband but he still wanted to protect you for as long and as far as he could. And I, I mean, that speaks massive volumes for your brother, but then also I'd like to say, you know, for your husband, the amount of respect that he had for those boundaries and, and that your brother was the person that essentially your father, right? You're, he is You're going right. to hand you off to your husband. And so mm-hmm. that your husband was mindful and respectful of that as well. That's, pretty awesome that you had two men legitimately looking out for you in those positions. Yeah, definitely. And my, so my brother, Daniel, he told me from the beginning what the rules were going to be for Tony and I to spend time together. And he made it really clear that, that we probably could find the opportunity to sneak around and do stuff we should have been doing, but that I should really pay a lot of attention to whether or not Tony was willing to do that. Um, because it would really speak a lot to the kind of man that he ultimately was. Because obviously, from my brother's point of view, nothing that he was putting in place was, out, you know, out of line. It's. I think a lot of people hear it now, and they're like, "That's crazy," but I don't think it was. I think it all made sense. It especially, um, you know, we're Christian. My brother's not a Christian. He's an atheist, and so like he's looking around at the women that we grew up with. And I had multiple neighborhood friends who had babies before they even hit high school. And 
his main goal was I, I was one of, I was the only girl. Um, I have older sisters, but they're quite a bit older. They never lived with us. And he's looking around and he's just thinking like, I cannot let my sister become dependent on a man to pay child support or be put in a position where like she's stuck here. Sure. And so that was why he invested in private school and we lived in a bad neighborhood so that he could put us in private school so that we could get a good education. And it's really funny because I, I grew up very patriarchal for sure, but also I was like totally favored in the home. Yeah. Um, he, he didn't save any money for my brothers to go to college. Like they were on their own. He didn't, he didn't buy them a car. He bought me a car, but I, it was never, he didn't put the same pressure on them to go to college either. Um, because th from his point of view, they could get jobs that they could support themselves in, but I wouldn't be able to do that. So it was like never an option that I was not going to go to college. Um, but with the boys, it was kind of like, oh, whatever you want to do. Once you're 18, you need to be able to like support yourself and pay, yeah. you know, pay for whatever you want to do. Um, and my two brothers closest in age to me, like they went to we went to college in the same place, uh, you know, so they went. But he his main focus was just. I think he always felt driven to protect me more as it should be. Honestly. Right. So. so you and your husband got married and kind of walk me through what those first stages of life were like as a new wife at the ripe old age of 18 years old. Like that's. Well, no, no, no. You were engaged at 18. When did, how old were you when you actually got married? I was 19. So we got married. Okay. I don't know why. So much older. <laughs> I know. Just the way I was practically gray at that point. Um, I don't know why, because it's so <laughs> like almost embarrassing at this point, like now. But I was kind of like a scene kid, you know, punk, uh, the pop punk thing was like really sure. big. And I was like, we could get married on Halloween. And so I was like, it, I just had to. And so we did. And so it's now we don't really celebrate Halloween. We celebrate Reformation Day, which is uh, Halloween is actually the anniversary of the day that Martin Luther nailed his theses to the door. Um, and in the we're Reformed Baptists. So in the Reformed Church, that's kind of it's, it's a thing. And people have shirts that are like, it's hammer time. And like, oh, it's, it's so dorky. But like, I love it. Um, but it's I don't know, it just makes me laugh so much that I was like, yes, we have to get married on Halloween. I had like the flippy bang, studded belts, all that stuff. So we wore chucks to our wedding. So it was very like, very 2016. But um, so I was going to school in North Louisiana. Tony lived in South Louisiana. When we got married, he moved up there. He already had a son that he had in high school. So I became like an instant mom. And he went to work. He was working offshore. He'd gotten a job working offshore about three months before he got married. So he was in the Gulf of Mexico for three weeks out of the month. And then he was home for one week. So I was very blessed that nobody, like none of my professors cared if our child came with us, came with me to school. Um, That's awesome. We homeschool. We're very big on homeschooling at the time. I refused to put him in public school because they wanted to make me cut his hair. And I wasn't as like hardcore homeschooling at the time, but I grew up in a very anti-state home. 
And yeah. so the, the idea that the state was going to tell me what my child's hair could look like, which I didn't even like it. I, I'm not a big fan of long hair and little boys. But it was just like, you don't get to decide that. So it was like, whatever, we're homeschooling. And I look around now at what's going on. It's like, I was so petty. <laughs> but that's how, we, that's how we started homeschooling. It was like, I'm not. Hannah had the that. foresight. She saw where things were going. Like she, conspiracy theory, Hannah traveled time. She saw COVID. She's like, oh, you're going to tell me how to cut his hair? I know what you're getting ready to do. So I'm just going to go ahead and take him out now. Yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it was, I just didn't like that. So he would go to school with me. We would do, we stayed, you know, pretty much by ourselves for like, you know, the three weeks. My brothers were in the area that two of them were in school at the same time. So they actually got an apartment in the same complex that we were in so they could be close if I needed something. But that was, um, I mean, it was obviously difficult, newlywed, like him being gone so much, but it was definitely for a purpose. But uh, yeah, so I graduated school and then we moved to Southern California so that I could pursue my master's, um, which he paid for in cash. So that's crazy, but he, we don't really believe in going into debt. And he was like hell bent. I didn't want to go to grad school. I honestly didn't even want to finish my undergrad degree. I just wanted to be married and I just wanted to be a mom. I wanted to be a wife. I didn't care about any of it. Um, my, he had promised my brother that I would finish. So it wasn't an option. But when, when he was like, yeah, you're going to go to grad school. I was like, I don't want to do that. And he was like, well, that's what you're doing. So <laughs> that's what I did. <laughs> so, the okay so there's like the first trigger point right so like that's the first moment in our conversation so far where from a feminist perspective like you don't which actually it's kind of like the opposite because you want to be a traditional <laughs> woman and be I know. a wife and a mom but but you were you were told you you had to it wasn't an option you must go to school the i guess the feminist would be like you don't tell me what to do like that would be like the first moment where you could have pushback and say like, I don't want to do what you're telling me to do. So I want to talk about, um, I know you said you're from, you're a reformist. So the, from a biblical sense, talk to me a little bit about how you and your husband see the traditional roles that the two of you play in your life. Like um, obviously you went and you finished grad school and so that level of deferential um, behavior where you're submitting to your husband's intentions for you, uh, talk to me a little bit about how that worked with you guys. Was there an argument? Was it just, no, you're going to go do that? And you're like, okay. And you just went and did it. Like, can you kind of walk me through what that was like? Yeah. So um, we certainly don't, it's sometimes it's just okay. Sometimes you know, there's nothing wrong with, um, I don't, I'm not a robot, you know? Um, right. and so, and I haven't been like lobotomized or anything. So sometimes <laughs> well, it's like, yeah, think no. you have at this point, but yeah. I, I know, I know a lot of people think so, but I, I don't know. There's no evidence of that. Um, but you know, they, they, uh, you know, the Bible says that wives are to submit to our husbands as to the Lord. 
and you know that's in Ephesians and we submit to the Lord in everything so that means that outside of you know people always want to throw out the extremes of like abuse or if your husband's commanding you to sin yeah obviously that's a whole different thing you should seek help but you know outside of any any extreme situation I submit to my husband in everything and so you know, we went back and forth a little bit. I wanted to maybe like wait a while, you know, and he was like, no, no, no. If you don't go now, you're not going to go, which is probably true. Um, but ultimately he saw me getting that, that degree. We had progressed in our spiritual walk and in our kind of views of what parenting is. Um, you know, our oldest had attended public school previous to Tony and I getting married because Tony had to work. And right. so, um, but we really became convicted about what God calls parents to do and how our child's education, like that is our responsibility. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong to send your kids to public school or anything like that. But when you do that, it is very easy to sort of check out and think like, oh, it's handled. And that's from a Christian point of view, that's how it needs to happen. And so the homeschooling became like a, it was like this is what needs to happen and the change in our family well i say change but we were like a new family but the the dynamic of our family was just so cool like our oldest was so happy to just go along with me i mean he went with me everywhere and he had you know friends his age and stuff like that but we we have a really close relationship. Now he's only 11 years younger than me. Tony, Tony is a bit older, but we still have that, the parental relationship, but also like we just get along really well. He's always been, he's such a blessing of a child and he's always been such an easy kid, but he was just so happy to be a part of just my adult life. Right. And that's really something that we think is important with kids. So Tony viewed me going and getting my master's as a way to protect us in case the state cracked down on homeschooling. Right. At the time, he was, um, he felt called to go to California. He had really good job offers there and that was the right thing to do. But California is like not known for being homeschool friendly. friendly. Yeah. And so we didn't know how long we were going to be there. We ended up not being there that long, but for all we knew at the time, we could have been there permanently. And so from his point of view, most public school principals have a master's degree. And I was going to like a top school. They couldn't argue with my credentials. They couldn't come and say that I wasn't qualified to teach my, my kid. And so he viewed it. It wasn't so much about me going to school as it was a way to protect our family and make sure that the state couldn't like step in and mess with what we were doing. Awesome. Um, because I'll tell you right now, I learned absolutely nothing that makes me more qualified to teach your children than you are. Right. I'm, I'm well aware that not everyone can homeschool, and I, I won't do my whole homeschooling pitch right now. But <laughs> I, just, I just do want everyone to know that, that the, these credentials, they, they literally mean nothing. Like, you don't believe anyone who tells you that you're not qualified to, like, teach your kid. Right. That's, like, that's stupid. <laughs> so... That is your son. Can you walk me through, because you have more than just him now. Mm-hmm. So can you walk me through how you, how you 
I acquired is like the worst word that I could no, possibly no, imagine using. Collected. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. How did you wanted... open your arms to all of the children that you have? Now? I, I wanted all the children. Um, so <laughs> like, we, <laughs> we tried. Pied Piper just playing your song and your couple kind of of. Yeah. I, I, he says I'm crazy because I want 25, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> he's like, wow, <laughs> we have 13 currently. Um, so we tried to have our own all living under your roof. How many are living in your home right now? No, we have eight at home. Okay. And we've never had 13 at home. Um, okay. so the most we've ever had at home was 10, but, uh, we know that's 11. I'm sorry. 11. Um, and we only had 11 at home for maybe like six months. Um, but so we tried to have our own. Unfortunately, I had had multiple miscarriages. I had two stillbirths. I saw a bunch of specialists. I finally saw a doctor who essentially told me, like, it's physically impossible for you to carry a baby to term. Like, there's, there's physical damage to my body from the abuse that I suffered as a child. And I almost bled out twice. And so, um, you know, he just said, like, you could die. Yeah. Um, and so and we would already be heartbreaking for you. It was, and it was very, you know, from a, we're pretty anti birth control and anti, you know, um, I don't think you're morally obligated to have all the children that you can, but you know, we, in general, we don't take the hard Catholic stance, but we're pretty against using a lot of that stuff. Sure. And so, um, you know, it was really was, difficult. Hold on. To, Hannah, I want to ask you kind of an intimate question real fast. Yeah, yeah, if you don't want to yeah, answer, sure. you don't have to. But from a faith perspective, a woman's role in a marriage is to be a vessel for life. Your job is to produce offspring for your husband. And Ooh. so was that a difficult thing for you from a faith-based perspective to be told that you're not able to do that? Um, so I didn't have the same – I don't think I – I know a lot of women who are like, yes, that was something that they really struggled with. I was really angry about it for a while because one of the things that I very much wanted to do was kind of right the wrongs that were done to me. Sure. And the Bible does say that women are, are saved through childbearing. Now what that means, you know, there's a few different interpretations of that, but there's a, a verse in Proverbs that says that God will, will give a home and will give children to the childless. And so I really, I'm sorry, it's Psalms. I think it's like the Psalms 513. But I really found solace in that. Our oldest, by the time we started adopting, our oldest had really, you know, accumulated this whole group of friends that were always at our home. And I think, I think motherhood looks different for a lot of people. Yeah. And so I had kind of come to terms with the fact that like, this may be what motherhood is to me. It may sure. be mothering these children that who have parents, but whose parents are maybe not as involved as us, you right. know, and who are not as available as us. So this may be what being a mother looks like to us, you yeah. know, for me. Um, and it was, it was difficult in a lot of ways, but I wouldn't say spiritually that I really like, um, I think where I suffered there was more like I was just so I was very angry with God for a while sure. because it felt like I didn't deserve that. Right. Um, 
you know, but. Well, I mean, especially for what you had been through, right? Like it was sure. like you were being punished for, for, for bad acts that were unleashed upon you. So it's like right. double time angry, right? Like, yeah. God, why did yeah. you let that happen to me when I was a child? And now you're not going to let me have my own child for my own redemption. Like that would have been really hard for me. So I can empathize with you. Yeah, it was difficult. And I mean, unfortunately, it is the consequence of like living in a sinful world. Yeah. Um, and also, but I mean, as so we're Calvinists, which means that we, we believe that God is sovereign over everything that happens. And there's a lot of, you know, predestination, all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, we believe that everything happens the way that God wants it to. Not that God uh, ordains sin. It's a bit complicated. I'm probably not qualified to like really explain it, but that it happened that way. And, you know, the Bible says God's going to use everything for his glory. And so that sucked. It was awful and I didn't deserve it. But also if I was able to have my own children, I like, you know, my own biological children, I wouldn't have the children I have now. And to know that God used me to bring these children into his kingdom i mean i don't it, people get really like bent out of shape when i say this but truthfully it makes it worth it to me like what sure. i went through you know and so it's well and then pers- there is your redemption arc right like that mm-hmm. you got it and the fact now, that who cares what anyone else thinks but if right. that's if that's what gave you the peace and look at at what you're able to do for these lives that have come into your home. Right. Well, and it, it wasn't selfless. People always say like, Oh, bless you, blah, blah, blah. And I, I appreciate that. I get it. And I'm not going to pretend that our children, our children can be really difficult for sure, but I wanted children and I got children and now I have yeah. more than almost anyone. <laughs> like, so right. it wasn't purely like selfless in any way, but, um, because of Tony's record, which, you know, I know most people know, he was a felon. He was arrested a couple of times, you know, in his youth. He did time in prison. He came to Christ in prison. Um, you know, no private adoption agency would work with us, even though it had been a decade. Um, and we were basically told by even state workers on the low, kind of, that we would probably never be chosen to have a child, to, to receive a child under the age of five. And so... We had a couple of um, private adoptions that fell through and it just kind of, you know, there's, I'm sort of mixing up the timeline a little bit, but we got our first adoptee because we were volunteering at the children's home in hopes that we would be able, we might be able to adopt, you know, a younger child or a baby like through the state. And he and our son got along really well. Um, but then he kind of started getting into some trouble and he was in juvie and we just felt like we could maybe help him. And so we went through the process and we got him. We'd already done all the foster care classes, but we were on the fence about actual fostering, but we were doing what's called respite care. So respite care is when kids are not in state custody, but they can't stay at home for whatever reason. Like the family needs a break, the kids need a break, whatever. And so they come and stay with you like temporarily um, and so we were able to get him, we adopted him that went generally pretty well. Um, 
and then we just kept meeting these kids that it was like, yeah, we could help this one. Um, and we, we focused on teenage boys who were, the likelihood of a child being adopted past the age of five is, is fairly low, honestly. Um, and the likelihood of a child that's over the age of 10 being adopted is really low, unless it's by family, especially when they have behavioral problems. So we picked up all of our sons from juvie. They've all had criminal charges against them when we've gotten them. And none of them would have probably been adopted if it wasn't for us, which is why they've let us have so many. Because <laughs> like, it's right. generally against regulation to let you have so many kids. Um, and we've had to go in front of a judge to kind of get clearance for it. Um, but the outcome for kids who age out of the system is, is not great. You know, kids who get adopted out of the system, they, they generally tend to fare better. And so we've kind of found this rhythm where we sort of unindoctrinate them from all of the narratives that they've been taught their whole lives about BLM and all this kind of stuff. And we share the gospel with them and, we, you know, God uses us to like, draw them to him and it's amazing the change that they go through so they go from being these like angry kids to really feeling like they have some control over their lives and now they are just rebellious in like all the right ways they just want to prove the system wrong because they were told by many people that they would that their lives would always be difficult because they're black because they're poor but, you know, they're not all black, but some of them are, um, you know, and, and all of these things. And now that, that they've realized that they were lied to, I mean, you're, I don't know, you're not going to stop them. You know, right. they're, they're probably more based than I am for sure. Um, <laughs> and they have, they have like a less tolerance for any of that stuff. They just want to, they just want to make money. Right. They work in family businesses and they start working full time pretty, pretty early on. And, um, you know, they're just focused on, on proving the man wrong. They thought, one of my sons told me one time, like, I thought that they were telling me the truth, but they were just lying to me because they wanted me to be their slave. And oh, man. I know it was like really profound. I was like, Oh my gosh. Oh. You know, like, <laughs> I'm so but, proud of you. <laughs> yes. There's such blessings. And I mean, it, listen, I don't want to sugarcoat it for anyone because I never want anyone to get the wrong idea. That is a hard way to acquire children. Um, not just emotionally or financially, but these kids had legitimate behavioral problems. Um, like one of the stories that I, he doesn't mind if I talk about this, but my, our 15 year old, when he was 11, he robbed a store at gunpoint. And that's what he was in juvie for when we brought wow. him home. So, I mean, we're talking about like real behavioral problems here. So I don't want anyone to get the idea that you just bring the kids home and then all of a sudden they teach you how to dance. And it's this whole like freedom writers moment. Like, it's not <laughs> like that, like at all, you know, like it's a lot of work, but we have managed to like make it work really well. Um, you know, and now it's, he doesn't mind me talking about it because he says, oh, what was wrong with me? Like, I was tripping. And it's like, yeah, no, you really were. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I have a couple questions. So uh, um, is that difficult? Because you said um, some, not all, but some of them are black. 
was it hard because of the indoctrination that they had been through? You know, the white man is keeping you down and you'll never succeed because of it. And then they're adopted by white people. Was that a struggle for you guys at first um, for these um, children? They're a little bit, but because they were older, they actually did have a choice. It's not like the state was just like, oh, you're going with these white people. Right. Um, so we were able to like spend some time with them, get to know them. But also, and I'm not sure if I'm really supposed to say it like this, but I'm just going to, like, I don't know that they view my husband as white. Like, okay. he grew up from on the south side of Chicago. He's been to prison. He's got a grill. Like, you know, <laughs> he, we're not like the typical, like, cookie cutter suburban white family, I guess sure. is what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, he, he wakes them up playing Kevin Gates. So that's, you know. We're just not, uh, it, race has always been like very casual, like in our home. We've had a few, we've had to do a lot of unindoctrinating, you know, yeah. and, a, and, and a lot of, a lot of times people talk about, you know, they say, oh, I'm so glad you could bring these kids in. They just needed love. And it's like, I mean, they needed that, but also kind of like a swift kick in the ass. Yeah. Um, Cause no, you're not going to convince me that an 11 year old doesn't know that it's not okay to rob a store at gunpoint and right. that any amount of love is going to stop them from doing that, you know? Sure. And so they needed, they needed someone who was really going to be willing to say like, listen, you've had a bad rap. I had a bad rap too. Tony yeah. had a bad rap too, but like you are still responsible for your actions and you actually can turn this around. You yeah. know, you can take control of your life. So we've had some, you know, spotty issues here and there, but mostly they say that being uh, adopted by us is their reparations. So that's how they feel about that. It's kind of awesome, actually. <laughs> um, did so? My second question mm -hmm. was: There ever any like, like fear or concern? When you brought these children, I mean, like you hear a story, an 11 year old held a, a store at gunpoint. You did have other kids in the home when you brought him in. Was there a, a fear or concern for you guys at that point? Uh, yeah. I mean, anytime we introduce a new child into the mix, we're taking a risk. We kind of have a process with that um, where we make sure everybody's safe, but also don't make them feel like they're totally like separate from the rest of the family. Sure. And then, um, you know, Tony's shop is actually on the other side of our property. So there's one of the tweets that I put out that really just made people like freak out was that he watches the cameras when he's at work. Um, and it is true that he, he keeps the, he has a TV in his office and it runs the house cameras all the time. Right. Um, yeah, I don't, he doesn't have time to just sit there and watch them all day, but sure. yeah, I mean, he keeps an eye on things for a couple different reasons. Um, but our, our, the first child we adopted, he actually got physically violent with me and almost put me in the hospital. So it's, um, which he, for the record, I just want everyone to know anything I ever say about my children, I have specifically and explicitly gotten their permission to share. Yeah. So I'm very serious about their privacy. And when it comes to the good or the bad, you know, I want them to not feel like they are just exist for my Twitter content. Sure. <laughs> no, so, absolutely. You know, so I just, I just want everyone to know that, but um, you know, he's come so far 
since then and it's such a blessing you know but yeah it um you know that was obviously not good uh but we you know there's definitely when we have like a, a new kid there's a lot of just a ton of supervision that goes in while they kind of adjust the last four that we've adopted we've been able to do we had kind of found our rhythm and we were able to do it a little differently in the sense of bring them for a weekend, you know, let them get adjusted, take them back, let everybody think on it, all these kind of things. I have a hard and fast rule that I won't bring a child into my home if I'm not planning on keeping them. So I wanted, you know, when we bring them, we'd say, okay, this is for you. This time is for you you need to decide if you can acclimate to the way that we live, you know, but right. we want you, um, you know, so take the time. And so we were able to do it like a little bit differently that time, but that is why, so we have, we have two daughters that we actually were able to get kind of young. Um, and because of them, like, that's why we're not actually like adopting anymore right now. Cause they're, they're now nine and 11. And so, you know, that's just not really a chance that we are willing to take because unfortunately there are a lot of horror stories about bringing in older kids when you have existing kids, especially when they're boys with, you know, a chip on their shoulder and, uh, you know, a criminal background. Right. So let's fast forward. So you have all of your kids now, you have your husband, you have you, you have the life that you wanted, Hannah. You wanted to be a mom, you wanted to be a wife, uh, you homeschool your children, you are literally living out your dream. But for some reason, people on the internet seem to take issue with that. They they want to pick apart your life as if they have any right to, but um so let's talk about the submission. You said you submit to your husband in all things because by submitting to your husband, you're submitting to God. So let's talk about that a little bit. Some of the questions that I've seen people ask you, um, they've they've asked questions with regards to um, does your husband ever ask your input on things like as far as decisions that need to be made in the household? Um do you, are you allowed to refuse sex with your husband? Are you, um, I can't remember. I think somebody asked something about finances one time. And so I'm curious, um, to hear like your response to at least the first two, and then maybe we can get into some of the others. Um, okay. So am I allowed to, I'm sorry, what was the first question? Does he ever ask my opinion about anything? <laughs> yeah. Does he ever like yeah. ask your input on decisions that need to be made? Uh, yeah. I mean, most of them for sure. There's definitely decisions that he comes in and he's just like, this is what we're doing. Um, but for the most part, yeah, like he, he doesn't, my husband doesn't have to ask me permission for anything, but, and he never has, but why would he marry a, why would you marry a stupid woman? Like your wife should 100% be your most trusted counsel. We have the same goal, you know, like I, I am here to be a helpmate to him while he's on his mission. And so I don't, he, my, my husband refers to men who never consult their wives as half brains and he doesn't do business with them. 
like he, cause they're, they're only using half their brain. Right. And he thinks that's stupid. Um, <laughs> you know, so now, I mean, he doesn't always take my advice. Sometimes my advice is wrong. Sometimes it's right. Like, you know, there's a lot of, I guess, like nuance to all of it. And there's plenty of times where he says, I've already decided this is what we're doing. Like, I really don't want to hear it, you know, and that's fine. He's well within his right to do that. Um, But for the most part, he likes to hear what I have to say. So. And the second question is, are you permitted to refuse sex with your husband? Okay. So it's complicated, I guess, like most answers, but so the Bible makes it clear that we are not supposed to um, deny our spouse sex on either side, men or women, the husbands or wives, um, ex- outside of a period of um, agreed upon fasting. So is it okay for me to tell my husband, like, I don't feel well? Then yes, of course. Like, it's what's it going to do, you know? Um I don't make a habit of it. I don't, I don't want to go like explicitly into our like sex life. I generally speaking, you should enjoy having sex with your husband. I like having sex with my husband. And if you don't, you should probably look into why that is. Do you have a hormone imbalance? Are you exhausted from the day? Are you not enjoying it the way you should? I don't, I don't know. Like any of those things that it's kind of indicative of another problem. If you just don't want to, you know, there's, yeah. the slight possibility that you're using it to control him. But I don't think that happens as much as sometimes people make it seem. Um, But yeah, like I I like having, I don't generally want to say no, but is he going to, um, I don't know, can I say the R word? Like, is he going to force himself on me? Is he going to rape me if I say no? No, absolutely not. Well, and I think Um, what provoked or, or what prompted this discussion I can't remember her name and I try really hard not to like blast people out on my podcast because I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not seeking to like attack people or anything like that. But yeah. um, someone had mentioned uh, that from a big, I, and I didn't even know if she was speaking from experience or knowledge, but I think she said something along the lines that from a biblical perspective, if your husband then turns around and rapes you, that's okay yeah. because you don't have the right to deny him sex. Right. Okay. I, so the post you're referring to, I won't name her, but anybody who knows who we're talking about, you know, I think she's generally well-intentioned, but a lot of the things she says are off. Um, but in the, in the post that you're referring to, so basically the wife had said like, oh, I'm tired. And the husband said, okay. And then she woke up and he was actually having sex with her in the middle of the night. And I, that's a weird thing to do. Like, if that's not something that's okay, I don't know that that would bother me, um, particularly, but if it's not okay, it's not okay, you know, and it's okay that that's not okay. And I think what people got really upset with was her, was the kind of dismissal of like, oh, you should just get over it. And I disagree. I'm not saying that he, I don't know that I would call that marital rape. I'm just being honest. I don't know. But um, this is one of those times when it's like, I'm so glad I'm not a pastor and I don't actually have to deal with these kinds of like issues. Um, Right. But I will say that like, I don't know that I would call it marital rape, but I would call it not okay to 
certainly to force it onto your wife. And I think the case could be made that it's marital rape, at least. Right. Um, and so at minimum, like, do I think she should call the police? Well, no, probably not. But like, do I think that she should feel free to say like, hey, this happened and I really didn't like it. And I would like it if you would not do that again. It made me feel uncomfortable and used. Like, that should be something that her husband is willing to hear. And if you're in a marriage where you don't feel free to express any kind of negative view or opinion to your husband in that way, I, I don't, that's a problem. You should probably go to your church elders, you know, or seek counsel somewhere. Um, because I don't know, your husband should care. My husband would care if I was upset about something like that. Um, and I think that's one of the misconceptions, right? That in a, in a marriage that, especially if you, if we're talking in this, it, it's really weird. Like this whole like trad vein has like, mm-hmm. now it's become like trendy. Whereas I, I yeah. view your relationship with your husband very differently than the, we're trad for the likes. I, I Look at me and my peasant dress cooking dinner I'm totally trad like I really appreciate you saying that because people call me trad all the time and I've actually worked really hard to differentiate myself from those people yeah we're not trad like we're biblical they there's a lot of overlap there but we're not trad I don't right. even make my own bread <laughs> oh man that was pretty good Um, but I think a lot of people kind of project that onto you. I think that because you have a biblical, what I would consider a traditional marriage, doesn't mean that you're this, um, trendy trad wife. And so I, I also think that when you mention, um, that, that you should have that discussion with the person then you have like this, it's, it's like the total, like farther than, than even the trendy trads. You have people who are suggesting that you don't even have the right to express that you were just, that you right. had discomfort or that you were upset yeah. and that your husband is weak if he listens to you or right. um, he really doesn't care about you or. You know, it, it's just a very bizarre, I just, it, it's, I sit and I watch some of these videos and I listen to some of these things that women are saying, and they're coming from a position of zero experience yeah. and giving advice and knowledge to young women. And I think my biggest, um, we'll call it pet peeve with the whole situation it's not so much the person. It's not even so much what the person, is, well, it is what they're saying. But my problem is that if you continue to pound and harp into these young impressionable minds, and you talking about like an 11-year-old knows better than to go into a, a convenience store and hold somebody up with a gun. They know that that is a wrong behavior. I think when you start giving nuanced advice of like marriage and relationships that is not uh you know better because you're coming from a world where you have an experience what that's like 
And so maybe you come from a place where your parents are a little bit more closed off. They don't really like express that to you or show that to you. And you're getting your information from TikTok and YouTube. And you're hearing that if you reach a certain point, you're ugly and not worth any value to a man. If you uh, are in a relationship, you have no voice, you have no value other than to be a cum dumpster with, with no mouth. Like that's your only value in that relationship. Mm -hmm. And then two things happen. One, that person goes into a relationship and literally creates themselves to be no value because they, they don't, you know, bring anything to the relationship, but sex, because now they've been told that's the only thing they have of value. Right. And then sex sex and fresh bread. That's all they bring. And (laughs) I mean, I, I think fresh and fit and I, I don't mind, whatever, I'll call them out. I don't care. Like they, I don't follow their content or anything. I hear a lot of the manosphere stuff kind of through the, we have a lot of boys in our house all the time. You know, my sons, we have an open policy with their friends, you know, and we discuss a lot of these things. Like these are, these are godless people. So it's a reaction. I may agree with them on some things like, I think the whole idea of like happy wife, happy life, it's a harmful kind of viewpoint. You, they're looking at these relationships where, and a lot of times the father has been just like relegated to like a, a paycheck who like sometimes comes in and disciplines the kids, right. you know, and that's not how we view it. It's our home, you know, the, even the idea of like the home is the wife's domain. No, it's literally the husband's domain, you know, yes. and he, he, he delegates authority to me from his authority to run our home but this is you know that's not you know fathers need to be active and stuff like that but the fresh and foot put out this tweet that was like never let her have the idea that um you know that she brings anything into the relationship or else you're doomed and it's like that's crazy why would you want like essentially dead weight you know you've reduced your wife to just a you know you know a a sex doll that makes you dinner and cleans your house and that's I mean you could hire a prostitute and a housekeeper and probably end up better off financially um and that's that's just not what marriage is supposed to be the bible makes it clear that you know my husband and I are one one of his like kind of go-to expressions is like she is me and so you know, the Bible says you should treat your wife well because you're not going to wage war against your own body and men who treat their wives badly. That's what they're doing. And so um, I had tagged, there's a couple of pastors that we follow that talk a lot about biblical masculinity. And I had tagged them in a quote tweet um, because some of them will go speak at these kind of manosphere conferences. So there's like Michael Foster. He's the main one. He wrote a book called it's good to be a man and then he's brought some of the other ones in, like Brian Salve, Eric Kahn. And I just said, like, this is why it's so important for these men to go to these conferences and share what a biblical perspective on masculinity looks like. And, you know, one of them responded and was like, LOL, what a brain dead take. Because it is. It's so silly. Like, this is the woman that's going to be raising your children. 
you know you want right. her to feel valuable because you want her to be valuable um and i I don't know the whole thing. It makes me so annoyed when I read a lot of that stuff. I've had to mute the one certain person because I just want to argue with her all the time. Um, <laughs> like I can't. I just don't need to be so contentious on Twitter. But it's not a. It's not healthy. Um, and most of the audience is young men, but I don't want young girls like sucking in these viewpoints. It's totally reactionary. Like I said, to a lot of the just the, the feminism that infiltrates every part of life, but a healthy balance exists. You know, like I know lots of people who live like we do, who have healthy marriages where the husband is in charge and he runs the home, but everyone in the family is valuable for their, for what they bring to the table. Yes. And so let's talk about the feminism situation. So the whole prompting of you and I having this discussion was that feminism is, is like closeted misogyny. And so I, I would like for you, I have questions, but I want you to expand on what you mean by that first to see if we're on the same page before I ask the questions. Cause I don't want to take it in the wrong direction. Okay. So I think at first we have to define we have to define our terms. So most people, when you ask them, what is feminism? They're going to say the belief that men and women are equal and should have equal rights. But that's not actually what feminism is. That's what it's been sold as. But when you read early feminist writings, when you really dive into what these women thought and where these thoughts came from, it's pretty misogynistic. It's a rejection of all things feminine. The idea that being a homemaker is not good enough, that you're not contributing greatly to society, that's insane. How did right. we ever let anyone convince us of that? I'm literally raising the next generation, you know? Yeah. And so it's like- Blows my mind, really, I know, it's with you. so crazy. And my husband will tell you like very quickly that he couldn't do anything that he does if I wasn't here because me, every minute that I spend doing his laundry is a minute that he can be doing something else, right. you know? And so if he didn't have me, he wouldn't be nearly as successful as he is. And, you know, it's, I don't know. It's just so weird that we've allowed people to convince us of that, but women are vitally important to our country. And I think when we look around, we talk a lot about the fatherlessness crisis, which is a true crisis. But what we're also seeing is the result of mothers being taken out of the home. Oh, God. And like, yes. of, of children not having a parent at home and of us telling young women, but yeah, being a mom is like cool and all, but really you need this high powered career, yeah. you know, and that's where you're actually going to get your value. And it's like, I, I just reject all of that. And well, and it's it's funny because like you're telling them to be like a man. Like you're yes. you're literally telling women they're not good enough as what the woman is. They need mm-hmm. to be more to be a woman. They need to be more right. like a man to be a better woman. And that, like that in and of itself is the most misogynistic thing I feel like you could ever say Absolutely. to a woman. And I've talked to so many women who identify as feminists, who 
slide into my DMs and they want to have conversations and they're older and they have children and they, a lot of times are very open with me about the fact that they don't agree with anything I say, but then they look at their lives and they realize that like they miss their children's childhood. Yeah. And that is like tragic to me. So I'm going to share a story with you really fast um, that you probably don't know about me. So I have spent my entire early part of my life living that life. Like I was high powered marketing and advertising consultant working nonstop. I was, I, I, I mean, I was working insane hours and when my father passed away, I wanted hit the month that he died. I wanted that to be a time of celebration and not of sadness. So at the time, my husband and I decided that we were going to try to have a baby and missed it by a month. She was born on May 3rd. <laughs> so got pregnant just a little bit too early. And uh, my daughter was born in 2012. And um, I decided to, uh, it was kind of like the trifecta. My father had passed away. My daughter had been born. And so we were completely isolated. We had no family or friends or anything down where we lived. So, um, and then his father had gotten cancer. So it was kind of like the trifecta. We needed to move back home at that point. So, um, we did, and when we moved back home, I took another uh, position within the same organization that I worked at. So at that time, I was making incredibly good money and my husband didn't have to work. So he stayed home with our daughter for the first two and a half years of her life. And um, I watched her crawl for the first time on a Skype call. And it was, it was like instant. The moment that I watched her take her little arm and move it forward, I was like, I'm done. I can't do this high powered boss babe life anymore. I am meant to be a mother and I will be a mother to my daughter. I will never watch another first on a computer screen. Yeah. And so I put my two weeks notice in that day. I had no backup. My husband didn't have a job. I made a very like, do what? I love it though. Just took the plunge. (laughs) You're like, I'm just doing it. (laughs) Because then it like, you know, you can't learn to drive in a parked car, right? Like, so I I am a person of action. And so it was in that moment where I was like, okay, I'm going to just put my two weeks notice in. I had enough savings at that point where if we needed a cushion, um, but then of course I was the more qualified individual. So I went and I started seeking other employment that had like maybe better hours. And it took me a while or took us a while, I should say, to kind of figure out how we were going to play that moving forward. But I ended up in the job that I'm still in today but my job is completely flexible now. Like if my daughter has a gymnastics practice or a tournament or violin lessons or whatever it is that she needs, I can work remotely 100% of the time now if I need to. Oh, that's awesome. Praise God. Yeah. It, so 
It's do what? Oh, I just said like, praise God. That's like such a blessing. Yeah, it, it really is. And so you talking about that, like talking about like feminists, like I thought that's what I needed to do for fulfillment. I thought that I needed to go out and, and earn that boss career and work my way up those ladders. And I did. And, you know, I was, I was very well paid in a very male dominated industry. I, you know, I busted my ass it for lack of better terminology. You may, um, you will never outwork me. Like that's the one thing that I can honestly say about myself. I will get where I, I want to go. You'll never outwork me, period. And so I thought, because I had been told that that was the only way that I had worth and value until the moment I looked in my daughter's face as she tries to crawl. And I knew that my worth and value is in being a mother, you know, and being there for my kid. Right. Well, and for the record, I don't think it's wrong for women to work in our, you know, Christian circle. We're going to say, obviously, it's not ideal. We always encourage men to, you know, generally speaking, yeah, we think it's best if women don't. Although, you know, we would, when you look at Proverbs 31, which is generally thought of as like the breakdown of like the perfect wife, um, you know, she's buying a field, she's trading and what she's doing is she's giving what her husband has given her and she's multiplying it within the family economy in a way that like works within the home. So, in no, you know, that a lot of times that's, you know, translate to, translates to, you know, selling things on Etsy or I have a homeschool pod. Like we don't live off of that money, but like, you know, I do generate some amount of income. I have rentals. And so like, and things like that, but you know, it's crazy that we have told women one that raising the next generation is not enough that you're not contributing enough, but two, you literally grew people in your body, you know, like that is so powerful. And I, it's just mind blowing to me that we have accepted that that's not women contributing enough you know, that you literally right. grow a whole person and you produce them. <laughs> That's insane. Like, it's so crazy. And it's, it really, truly, Rachel Wilson um, is an author. She wrote a book of called, uh, let me see, I have it right here, I think. Um, the Occult, Occult Feminism, The Secret History of Women's Liberation. And she really goes into a lot of the kind of pagan background of feminist views and really how a lot of this came about because we we've kind of been sold on this idea that it's like it was just these women who wanted to vote and all and none of that is how it happened when you actually look at the history of it um but it is a it is a full rejection of what is feminine for what is masculine um you know, in biblically speaking, we would say, you know, it's literally a mirror of the fall. So, you know, in the book of Genesis, God, so God tells Adam not to eat of the, the tree of knowledge. And then he creates Eve. But the serpent went to Eve and he deceived her. And Adam stood there and watched her eat and didn't stop her. Right. And so this gets distorted a lot. But Romans tells us that sin entered the world through Adam. 
And that's because Adam disobeyed. Standing idle. Yeah, Adam disobeyed. He disobeyed by allowing her to disobey. Right. And by by shirking his authority to stop her. And so feminism has taken men's authority within the marriage, but also within society to kind of lead society. And it has placed it on the women, the woman. And that's it's not for us. You know, men and women are fundamentally different in our goal. Our our paths in life are supposed to be different. Our um you know, like what we're here for is different, but that doesn't make anyone less important. And right. a lot of the the feminist stuff, it really just boils down to like covetousness. Why can't I have what he has? Right. I want the purpose that he has. But the purpose that we have is really important. Like it's yeah. so important. It's you the know? furtherance of the species. Like your yes. job is to bring life into the world. Like and you know what blows my mind? And I know this sounds so trite and, and fucking contrived. Like, it's so bad. But the, like, when you look at other species of animals, like, the the duck lays the eggs. The hen lays the eggs. The fox has the baby foxes. The cats have the baby cats. Like, no other species Number one kills its own offspring. Uh, you do have some animals that will eat the eggs, but I'm talking about like after they're alive, like they don't, they don't kill their own young. They may leave them or neglect well, I think them. Like dogs will eat their puppies sometimes, but you don't have any species that really like, I don't know, purposefully seek I'm out. About purposefully kills it in their body. Yeah, like they, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like they don't like discover that they're pregnant and then kill their baby. Like we're the only ones that mm -hmm. do that. Yeah. And it's, it, but uh, I, I, we could go on an entire well, other tangent with that. Yeah. Too. Well, and, we, and I know most of your audience is it, but it's probably not religious, but I will say that like 100% these babies are being sacrificed to Moloch. You know, the Aztecs used to kill their babies in hopes of a good crop. And now we kill our babies in hopes of a race. It's the same behavior. Yeah. You know. God, Hannah, that's such a good point. All these women who are like, I had my abortion. I wouldn't have my career if I didn't do that. And it's like, yeah. you murdered so that you could have an acting gig. Is that what, like, you. Yeah. You're proud of that? Is Are you mm -hmm. coming to me and telling me, like, that's something you think that's good? Right. Well, and and even even in that so you know even men who say which i cannot stand a male feminist i just they're they're so <laughs> gross um for just like so many different reasons oh. i i view them as totally predatory most of all and i don't feel bad in saying this because when you listen to like actual feminists like dr deborah so who's not a christian not even conservative you know she talks a lot about the trans stuff but she was on joe rogan talking about how male feminists are gross you know, and like predatory and just weird. So I don't feel bad saying this at all. This is not just me. Other people feel this way. But like, um, you know, they'll say like, what's well, a woman's body? She has the right to choose. I mean, you're literally saying that women get to decide who lives and dies. And so to say that we don't have like a gynocracy or a, um, you know, we would say like patriarchy, patriarchy is inevitable what we've got now is a fully toxic, weak patriarchy. 
because it's being run by women. But, you know, essentially, we've still got, you know, most of our politicians are men, most of the, you know, high power jobs, like most of the fields other than I think maybe the medical field are still pretty male dominated. But I would say um, education probably also has taken a hit. Oh, true, true. Yes, very educated. But education's kind of always been female dominated. Um, but like, you are essentially saying like women get to decide everything. It's all on the women. And one, women are not made for that. And two, it's not conducive to a healthy society. If it was, we'd have a healthy society, and we don't. Right. Yep. You know. And you know, it's so funny <laughs> for the longest time I had like, so like just tongue in cheek, I would be like, repeal the 19th. Like women should never be allowed to vote. <laughs> and um, like truly just tongue in cheek. I mean, hello, I have a political podcast. Like the idea that I'm not political is, I mean, it's just asinine, but I mean, it, you would have to come to me with a very sound argument to tell me that the destruction of our society didn't really like start taking off steam when women got the right to vote. Like it's when you started bringing extreme emotions into the equation and gave that, you know, life and the ability to make decisions. And I mean, look what that's gotten us. Like, where are we right Right. now? Well, and I joke about repealing the 19th, but I'm actually not for universal suffrage in general. So my views on it are kind of nuanced in the sense of I'm very pro like kind of head of household voting. So if you're a widow and you own property and you're considered the head of your household, or even if you're not a widow, if you're just a single woman and you're considered the head of your household, I'm okay with you voting. And if you're a man who doesn't pay taxes and doesn't own a business and doesn't own a property, doesn't own anything, like, I I don't want you voting, you know? So there is some nuance there because there's no skin in the game. But ultimately, when you look at the dividing of of the family vote, the house vote, you just can't convince me that that's been a net positive, you know? Um. The idea that you would have like husband and wife voting in two different directions, that makes no sense to me. (laughs) And it really opened up our system to uh, all of this pandering to different demographics, as opposed to people voting for, you know, people vote for what they think is going to be best for them, as opposed to what's best for their family, what's best for, you know, society at large and that's kind of what we've done by splitting up that that household vote and historically the majority of women did not want to vote and in fact most women didn't vote until i want to say the 60s or 70s we have more women who vote now than men but that it i mean women suffrage happened in the 19th amendment passed in what 1919 1918 something like that. And it wasn't until the 50s or 60s, 70s, somewhere in there that women actually were voting in large numbers. Most women just had no interest. Right. And it's to- it's totally like a fallacy that women didn't have any um, any influence on politics until they voted. That's just not true. Right. Um, because women had their husband's ear. So 
there's a lot of like revisionist history there. People always want to point to, and there were things that I don't think were right about the way that society was set up previous to uh, the feminist movement, like, um, you know, women not being able to own property. I don't, I don't agree with that stuff like that, but those things could have been fixed in like a much healthier way, <laughs> like right. for sure. than just saying like, okay, we're just going to look at everyone as an individual and it's not good for women either. Um, you know, you talk to a lot of men who they say, you know, well, she can go get a job. Why do I have to be child support? She gets to, I've had this discussion with many Manosphere dudes talking about, you know, that's one certain person. She put out a tweet about um, men shouldn't have to pay child support. And I made a meme, just like a silly meme and, you know, quote tweeted her. And I had a couple of guys in my replies who basically said, I don't have any say in what happens after she gets pregnant. So why should I have to pay child support? I'm at her mercy. And obviously I don't, the answer isn't not paying child support or abortion, but it's a fair point, you know? Yeah, that- no, it's it's an argument that I've, I've, it took two people to make that child. And whether, I, it, it took both of you, it took his sperm and her egg. And if you didn't mm-hmm. have both of them, it wouldn't be possible. So what happens with that child affects both of those individuals. Right. But when you look at, you know, custody court and all these different things, I actually don't blame a lot of men for just saying, I'm just not participating in this. Yeah. Um, I, I think that if the woman chooses to have the child, I I don't know. I I don't think that any man should ever advocate for his offspring to be murdered, but. Well, no. Um, yeah. Um, but I don't know. I th- I think that I think that both people should have a say. I I just I mean, have a really hard time with all of that. I'm a pretty hardcore abortion abolitionist, so yeah. I would say no exceptions, no yeah. like no abortion, no exceptions. Yeah. But you know, and I'm obvious, I'm not an advocate for sex outside of marriage either. Um, okay. But. If, you know, just for the record, the best thing is to just have sex with your spouse. But I, you know, people are going to and people are going to get pregnant out of wedlock. And but I don't think it should be an option that you get to kill the baby. Um, And it is it is a lie. The Bible says that God knew us before he knit us together in our mother's womb. So from the time of conception, that is a human life. That's a scientific fact, too. You won't find an embryology textbook that doesn't state that that's when life begins. They want to make it this whole like philosophical discussion of what is life, whatever. Well, no, the worst is the same woman that had an abortion. Then when she gets pregnant by choice, like she wants to keep this, it's a baby the entire time in her stomach. Right. But again, women get to decide when it's a baby, when it's not, you know, but if you get a woman pregnant outside of marriage, I think you should have to participate in every part of the pregnancy including financially sharing the cost of her having that baby 100 like i you know people will throw that at me they're like oh well if you're gonna force women to have children you should force men to pay child support from conception yeah your terms are acceptable that sounds good <laughs> i think those things would make people think 
a lot more. We have such an oversexed society. And this kind of goes back to like a point I was going to make about, um, you know, a husband waking up and just beginning to have sex with his wife. We just have kind of accepted the idea that people can't help themselves that we're just animals, that we can't control our sexual desires. And that's just not true. Like lots of people, I didn't have sex until I was married. You know, now my husband had a past. I mean, he already had a child. So obviously he was having sex before we got married. But, uh, you know, I, I know lots of people, men and women who waited to have sex until they were married. That is the ideal. But at minimum, you should not have sex with someone if you don't think you could raise a child with them. Right. You know, because that's just what happens. The whole, you know, um, you know, I consent to sex is not consent to pregnancy. It it literally is. How do you think the babies come about? You right. know, that's such a all of these arguments are just so weird. Like, and for you know, the party of science, they sure deny a lot of it. You know, <laughs> like it doesn't yeah. make any sense. Well, and that argument That's a has also I can get on for forever. Where they're like, oh, there's life on Mars. And it's like you find like some teeny tiny microbial and that's life, but not in humans. It, it blows my mind the level of hypocrisy in the entire situation. So frustrating. Yeah. And it just boils down to people want to do what they want to do without consequence. And that's just not how the world works. Right. That's not, that's not reality. I have come to terms with the fact that most leftists, they, they are psychotic in the clinical term, meaning they have fully broken off from reality. Like they're experiencing like clinical psychosis because they just refuse to accept that this is just, you know, actions have consequences, you know, and people want to throw out the rape thing. And it's like, I don't believe in punishing children for the sins of their father. Um, And, you know, my mom was really open about the fact that she wished that she could have saved money for an abortion, but my dad kept spending all the money on drugs. She told us this all the time. And so like, I'm personally really glad that they weren't able to do that. (laughs) And I know that that's like anecdotal, but what are you saying? You're saying that I shouldn't be here. My children shouldn't be here really because probably a lot of their biological parents were in a similar boat. And at one point in time, I really did think, Oh, these people wouldn't say this to my child's face, but I actually think a lot of them would, you know, and it, that's so, it's, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. That's that's so crazy that we would just that we've reduced life down to to such like a an unimportant level. Like it doesn't matter. Well, and I think that's part of the problem, right? Like we have we have the moment that we said it's okay to kill your baby inside of your womb, that moment was like the catalyst. It was like anything is possible, right? Like now you're willing to murder an innocent life. What aren't you willing to do? Like what, what are your boundaries then at that point? If, if that's what you, what you're capable of or what you're okay with. Well, we really want to deny the, 
the kind of the way that a lot of these things came about. But I mean, most people know Margaret Sanger hated black people. Yeah. I mean, she was very open about the fact that she advocated for the elimination of black people. And you can say, oh, well, that's not what Planned Parenthood is now. But I don't know. That's not what they're. Show me the neighborhoods where they pop up. Exactly. Exactly. And a lot of people don't know this, but the only thing that they actually make money of um, is abortion. Right. Um, And they're, they're, you know, they put out these numbers that are like, oh, it's only X amount of what we do. That's not true. They just divide the visits multiple times. And, you know, Abby Johnson, who used to work for them and is now like a pro-life advocate, she talks about this a lot. But, you know, they'll just they'll schedule you for three or four different visits and they they categorize them differently. But they're all abortion related. Um, but they offer no prenatal care. You know, you can I think you can go there and get like, you know, your yearly like pap smear and stuff like that. And they'll give you birth control. But birth control, too, is, you know, it that's it's a denial of what women's bodies are meant to do. Right. I. I'm against it on a moral level, but also just, it's like, just not good for you. You know, Um, it's not good for you to shut down your body's like natural, um, you know, functions. And so we're back to like the misogyny again of saying like, no, we need to to tweak women's bodies so that we can put them to work in a cubicle. And I listened to this podcast, uh, not to plug somebody else, but uh, like Sheologian's is a is a theological podcast I listened to with like a summer Jaeger she did this whole episode on how like birth control is transhumanist because it's separating like the natural function from from like reality and I that was like mind-blowing for me I never thought about it before but it is wow you just saying that to me it's completely different than than the way that I've perceived it up to this point Right. Because it's it's meant to fully separate like your natural, you know, natural processes of your body from what's actually happening. And I, okay. I just it took me a minute. I was like, man, I am really like I am shook just even hearing this because <laughs> I just never really thought about it before. But it's so true. And I really do think that a lot of these people that ultimately, whether they consciously hate women or not, they hate women. And when we look around at like the trans movement and all of these men who are making, you know, a, a literal farce out of women and they're just the most exaggerated, ridiculous portrayals of what women are. It's like the society hates women, but just not in the way that feminists think. Right. Yeah, it's been really hard to and, and what's really I guess maybe the the most frustrating and the most sad thing for me is to sit and observe so two things. One, right? I have a daughter and I just keep thinking about like she will inherit the earth and what kind of earth am I leaving behind for her? Am I speaking out against this? Am I doing my very best to guide her in the proper direction so that you know, she understands what her role is moving forward, even though she'll be told that that's wrong. And the 
But the biggest problem that I have, and as I sit and I observe, and again, I told you before we even started, like I'm not, uh, I did not, I, I don't have a gender studies degree. I, I am not well read in the world of feminism and feminist thought and theory or whatever. But just as a woman who has gone through my entire life, all 39 years of it, I am disappointed and sad to see that the ushering in of our own demise is coming from women. Like it's the only people that I see really vocally speaking out against much of the things that are taking place, the feminist movement of you need to be in the workforce and out of the home, the uh, you need to shut your mouth and let men come into your bathroom. You need to shut your mouth and let men compete against you in sports. You know, all of all of that is being ushered in by women. The only people I hear speaking out against it in support of of women is men. And that's disappointing to me. It is. It is sad to me that so many women view themselves so lowly. Um, and that is really something that's been ingrained in us for like most of our lives. You know, a lot of these feminists, they, they would tell me that I have internal, internalized misogyny and that I hate women. But all I've done today in this podcast is talk about how great women are. Right. And how important they are. And they're just not, just because I don't think you're meant to be a lawyer most of the time, doesn't mean I hate you. I embrace you for who you are, you know, for your natural, you know, your natural inclinations, your natural role in life. That's what I embrace. You know, when you look at, um, you know, the Scandinavian countries, which are considered to be like the most egalitarian. Jordan Peterson talks about this a lot, but you've got like about 30% of women who want to go into like stem cell type, not stem cell, stem type jobs. And the rest of the women, they, they're still drawn to the types of jobs that women have always been drawn to, which are more uh, social, you know, like education, um, medicine, you know, like more things that we think about whenever we think about like women's jobs. And so if we're really being honest about the numbers, of course, I acknowledge that there's in any society, any population, there's going to be outliers. So I'm fine acknowledging that maybe, I don't know if I would say 30% really, but that some percentage of women are not going to want to be moms ever. That's just not how they're built. You know, I think it's probably less than 30 percent, but sure, you know, but they don't want to be homemakers. And that's really just not what they're going to do. Right. But that's not the bulk of women. And we see that when we look at, you know, like I said, the Scandinavian countries where they've done everything they can to really equalize all of that stuff. Right. Women are just not drawn to those careers very often. And I'm not I nobody has ever told me anything that we could do better to make a life more equal other than 
I don't know, make it easier for women to kill their babies. Otherwise, like I, I've not heard anything that actually needs to be done. They just rage against the patriarchy, whatever that is. <laughs> um, I did want to ask you, though, have you noticed this trend of celebrities who are having children, whether through surrogacy or themselves, much later in life and acknowledging like the biggest one for me that just it made me so happy to see because of how she handled it but did you see uh the stuff with paris hilton no did she have a baby she did and she i love that for her yeah well and that's the thing a lot of people don't actually all all people think about when they think of paris hilton is that she's an heiress for a hotel and she says that's hot like that from the simple life like that's (laughs) all they really know about her but she's Mm -hmm. like an extremely accomplished woman yes yeah definitely and, and so like she djs like she has this god She's I actually have a huge amount of admiration for her as a professional female. Um, But she had her baby and she said she was like, my life is now more complete than it ever has been. And I don't want to do anything but love on my baby. And I love that. I know I do, too. Like, so two things from that. Right. Like you have a career woman saying that her life was complete when she gave birth to a child and this, well, she didn't give birth, but when she had a child, she did, she used a surrogate. And number two, that all she wants to do is love on her child. And she said it publicly. She didn't tell, like it's, it wasn't a taboo thing for her to say. Yeah. And I feel like we don't have enough of that, but you're starting to see, there's someone else who had one this year that it was just kind of a a big surprise that they gave birth. And I'm trying to remember who it is. And I can't. I point. don't keep up with like a lot of celebrity gossip. I don't but... I normally don't either, but when it comes to like baby having Right. And it my news feed just pops it up there. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, it's, it's, no, it's no judgment. I used to be really into it. But when my I used to love like keeping up with the Kardashians and Real Housewives and all that stuff. But then when I got my daughters, like my husband's not watching that. And so I would watch it like when I was home and he was at work. And then when I got my daughters, I was like, I can't watch this like with them around, obviously. Right. And so I kind of broke my like you know, being into a lot of that celebrity gossip stuff. But I've always had like an, a, a bit of like an affection for Paris Hilton because I think that people really did not ever give her like a fair rap. When you, you know, I've heard people talk about, she doesn't actually stand to inherit that much. You know, generational wealth, there's all these statistics out of Ben Shapiro, I'm not the biggest fan, but he talks about it all the time. You know how it, a lot of times like three generations, it pretty much goes. So she really, a lot of that, her like make, first of all, who can make a career out of being a party girl? That's wild that she was able to do that, (laughs) you know? And, but she kind of had to in a way because she, she had a platform to be able to do it, but she's not really, she is an heiress, but I don't, my understanding, I could be wrong. Someone can fact check me, but I don't think she actually stands to inherit that much. 
And so she had to, you know, she's used to this, like, you know, super fancy life and all that kind of stuff. And so she had to figure out a way to like, you know, keep that up sort of on her own. And she did that. And I, and obviously it's not the path I would choose. And it would have been better if she had just, you know, gotten married and started having babies when she was 20. But I do have respect for her in general, even though I don't think that that's a path that women should like choose. Just, I don't know. I've just always thought she really got like kind of like a, a rough, a bad rap in some ways. Uh, although there's a lot that I have, you know, issue with what she does, but even her coming out and talking now, she's the only thing I know that she's doing now is she's really talking about the, um, a lot of those, uh, like boarding schools for troubled kids, which has been a big issue for me for like a long time. And she's speaking out against it. And that means that's a, that's something that needs to be addressed. So I can respect anyone who will use their platform for fight to fight for people who don't have a voice. Right. Because I think a lot of people have no idea how messed up some of those programs are. You're 100% correct about that. But and I, I, go ahead. Oh, I just, I love that she's come out and said that about having a baby. I have a lot of issues with surrogacy and that can be like a whole other conversation. I'm very anti surrogacy in general, but I am glad that she has been open about the fact that motherhood changed her life. Yeah. I think there were complications is, is why the surrogacy happened. Not that, um, that probably still is an issue for you when there's so many people in the world that already are there, but, (laughs) um, I mean, it's surrogates. There's a few levels to it. Um, we don't take the hard Catholic stance. Like I don't necessarily have an issue with, couples using surrogacy and implanting their own embryos if all the embryos are getting used um i think that that's you know generally probably okay but their surrogacies when you're taking an egg and a sperm you know an egg from one woman and then a sperm from a man and you're implanting it in a second woman these are really high risk pregnancies and um you know, I, I understand people, I had fertility issues, so I get it, but I don't, women's bodies are not supposed to be for rent that way. And I think putting another woman in jeopardy that way, even though you are paying her, I just don't think that that's something that needs to be done. And then I think you get into a lot of the ethical, you know, is this even a moral thing to do? And that's a whole other conversation, but I'm not, I'm not super well versed in it. I just know that there's just a lot about it that I, I find I take issue with. Generally speaking, a lot of that though is the the idea that you can just rent a womb. You know. Sorry, I have my mic muted. Yes, I I understand what you're saying. So that could be like a whole other. You know, we could talk for hours about that. I'm oh, sure another episode. <laughs> I think people should just go ahead and expect that at some point in time. Hannah and I are going to be on again together. Um, I would love to. This is great. (laughs) And I can talk forever. (laughs) I'm clearly very stifled, obviously. You know, I have, that's always one thing that makes me laugh is like people think that my husband does keep an eye on my social media, but like, obviously he he doesn't really police what I say, you know? Um, 
I mean, he, he signs off on it. We have, we share generally the same beliefs, but it is funny to me that I think people's perception, I'm clearly not like a, a wilting flower. You know, I have a lot yeah, to say. Yeah, you're just a robot mouthpiece for your husband, Hannah. You right. You actually yeah. have any thoughts of your own. Obviously. <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's yeah. why he put me through grad school. Because he just <laughs> thought I was stupid. He laid Isn't down all that, that money. so crazy? Like, mm-hmm. the idea that because you are a biblical couple, that makes you less intelligent. That automatically makes you stupid. For having yeah. that kind of life with your husband. Yeah. Well, and I, I just put out an episode of my podcast where I sat down with a feminist that I kind of made friends with. And she pretty much openly admitted that she, with the first time we talked on the phone, she really expected it to be, she really expected it to be like a, a 15 minute conversation. because She thought it was just going to be stupid and boring. And we talked for three hours, you know. And it's, I really appreciate her willingness to be open about right. what she thought and, you know, how wrong she was, but it's, I don't, I'm sure she doesn't follow my, my feed super closely, my, my timeline, whatever, but it's like, if you really follow me, I don't really see how you could get that impression right. um, or how you could get the impression that my husband abuses me, you know, or yeah. anything like that. But People just see, they see what they want to see. You know, they get, I well, put out a People project a lot too. It's, it's mm-hmm. really interesting. And, oh God, again, I'm not going to name the person, but there is a certain individual who is not married, has no children, and to my knowledge, no prospects for either of those things, and thoroughly enjoys giving advice to those who are married and have children. And um, it's always fascinating to me when the, a big point that keeps getting made is you're old and you're ugly and you have nothing of value to offer. Yeah. And I can't help but sit there and think sometimes, are you, are you feeling age coming on? Are, are you feeling unattractive? Like, do you, do you need a hug? Like, right. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, so she had a debate, I guess, with Ethan Klein, which I don't mind like calling him out. Ethan Klein is an idiot. If you can't beat Ethan Klein in a debate, you need to stop talking. <laughs> and he wiped the floor with her just because he said, like you said, high value men don't want women who are over 25, who aren't virgins. But, but like you are those who, you know, you are those things. So are you basically saying that any man that would get with you is not a high value man? And all she could do was admit that she doesn't think that she'll get that. And it's like, what are you saying here? Like, what are you saying about yourself? What are you saying about your future spouse? Um, You know, it is a fact in general that women are more physically attractive at 25 than 35. Sure. I've gotten older. Like I've got crow's feet, whatever. Like that's fine. But, but beauty is subjective. I would push back on that. Like what it is subjective. I think what she's actually, not what she's saying, but what I'm saying is we, it is, I think it's good for women 
for, for everybody, men, women, everyone, it's good to get married young, you know, because by the time my husband will be very open about the fact that he can't imagine his life without me, like right. where, where I begin and he ends, all of that is very blurred now. We've been together for 17 years. So yeah. I'm 36 now. Does he look at me and think, oh, she was prettier when she was 25? Probably not. Because right. what he's finding beautiful in me is changing. And this is partially, you know, Proverbs tells men like to cling to the wife of their youth. And so the Bible wouldn't be saying this. And, and you know, so cling to the wife of your youth and don't be tempted by essentially like the harlot. So it wouldn't be said if it didn't need to be said, you know, if that wasn't potentially a, um, a, um, something that might tempt them, but your affections change in terms of like what, what it is that draws you to that person as you do life together. And so, no, I don't think that my husband would, would say, oh, you were prettier when you were 25, because he's not just looking at my physical beauty. And because as you said, like beauty is subjective. Right. What are you looking at? And so I don't know. There's there's some element of truth, I guess, in what she's saying. But a lot of the stuff that I look at that she says, it's like, is this actually helpful? And what are you saying? The right. idea that a 30 year old woman or a 35 year old woman has no value because she's maybe not a virgin or not 30, not 25. That's ridiculous. Like, it's right. completely what happens ridiculous. When, when you reach that point, like what happens when you turn 35? And you're right. still alone. Right. Well, this whole idea of like the wall, that women hit the wall, it's um, it's just crazy. Like uh, women, I have multiple Twitter mutuals who are having babies past the age of 40. Right. You know, like, is is it harder? I'm sure. Is that something that you want to like shoot for? No. Do I think that we are doing harm to young women by encouraging them to focus on career before marriage when they're in their 20s. Yes. yes. But you have value at 35. Yeah. You know, you first of all through your entire life. You're yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's yeah. So I don't want I, what I'm saying to be misconstrued at all sure, that I no. fully yeah. like agree with her. It's the she, I think part of the problem with her is frankly, like, I don't think she's that intelligent. And so like, she doesn't have the brain power to understand any kind of nuance with anything right. and so she thinks she's making this point and it's like yeah but you don't even actually understand what you're saying you know and yeah. even in the back and forth I had with her about men consulting their wives my husband consulting me is not him asking my permission like right. these are not the same thing but why would he not want to utilize my brain he I mean he always says like my brain is like his greatest resource and so it's actually an insult to your husband. And that's yeah. what's really fucking mind blowing to me. You're trying mm -hmm. to play in this manosphere, uh, manpower world. You're trying to, or patriarchy, whatever. But what you're actually doing is you're insulting the man who consults his wife because that was his choice. He chooses to consult his wife. He chooses he brought her into his life. He married her. And you're you're actually challenging his authority. You're actually saying that he shouldn't, he's not smart enough 
to decide whether or not he wants to involve his wife. And that's the that's the the total and complete irony of the entire situation. You're contradicting yourself without even realizing it. Well, and this is part of the problem with a lot of that manosphere stuff is like it's actually really feministy. A lot of it revolves around kind of this pursuit of pussy mindset and like, you know, it blames all the world's problems on women and all of this. And so it's like you are feeding into the idea that women run everything, you know, by, you know, I'm not a fan of Andrew Tate, but the only like positive that I have to say about him is that at least he's encouraging men to take control of their own lives as opposed to some of the more old school red pill dudes who just kind of encourage men to like fully check out, you know, now Andrew Tate's fully toxic. I totally disavow, but it's like, at least he is saying like, Hey, take control of your life. Like don't let them control you, you know, but he still feeds into this, you know, like I said, this pursuit of pussy, like kind of, you know, your whole self-worth revolves around how many women want you. You know, how is that not gynocentric? It doesn't make any sense. It's it's contradictory on its face. Um, and so it's I, I really think that, you know, this one person that we're talking about, I I don't think she fully understands a lot of what she says or the depths of it. And that's why most of the time when I try and respond to her, I try to do it from a biblical point of view. So, you know, the Bible says, you know, God created man and then he looked around and he said, it's not good for man to live alone. And so he created Eve. I mean, God said that we need each other, that both are important, you know, like God. So it's like, I don't know, you just can't argue with that, really. Um, And I think it's why I've had some success with discussing things with people who, who don't share my views at all, because. they can at least see me as like a reasonable person (laughs) overall because I'm not anti-woman. Like I think women are great. I just think that we're really in general encouraging them to outside, to, to act outside of their natural role. Um, you know, and I hate the, the regret that I hear from a lot of older women and honestly from a lot of younger women too, who are like, okay, well, I'm not married. So I have to go to school. I have to have this career. Like I have to make these choices. And it's like, that sucks. I wish that society was more set up in a way that you could just pursue being a wife and mom. Cause that is, that is actually what you want to do. Right. And the idea that you can have it all, there's not enough time in the day, in the day for a woman to have like this high power career and also properly raise her kids. That's a completely like unfair expectation. You're setting women up for failure with all of that. And it's, it's, I, I don't know, just a lot of it just doesn't make sense, but ultimately it just boils down to, you know, a lot of women, they want what's like just not for them. And I think a lot, everybody wants that. We've got men who want the same thing. They want to be stay at home dads. I, I would argue that that's not okay either. Um, but on the flip side of it, I don't think a man can work 80 hours a week and be a proper father. So not not generally speaking. My husband there's balance, right? There's balance with mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. And well, I think like, people that are always from the outside looking in, they have a lot of opinions, but mm-hmm. they really have no experience to back up those opinions. Yeah. I all a lot of in a lot of ways, like our 
our views of children, of child raising, of of running a home have been so skewed that it's not viewed as important. Like a father, yeah, his job is to go out and earn the money, but he's important in the home too. So if a dad is out of the home and fully away from it for 80 hours, he's actually not doing what he needs to do either. Right. You know? And so it's, it's not just, Oh, women can't. It's like, Oh, well, the way that we have society set up, a lot of men can't either. And people get mad when I say these things, but look around, look at the youth. Look, yeah. if you look at kids that are 25 and under, they are so lost and they are so hungry for like the father hunger is real. Um, you know, and in a lot the of ways, mother the mother hunger is real. That's exactly you, what I, I was just about to say while we're on the show or. Mm-hmm. For those who are listening, Hannah and I talked for a full hour before I started yeah. the show. So I can't remember exactly what we discussed privately before we got on here. But yeah, um, but they are. They're starving for. A mm-hmm. month. It's funny because and I, I'll be curious to hear your opinion on this. So I've always made the argument like people um, argue from the position that, you know, from a affirmative action and things like that, that a black child cannot succeed without essentially special favor in certain situations. And I, I've always made the argument, like I can go to a school with, with a black person. We get the same teacher, the same textbook, the same everything, same education all the way through the difference is that when I went home as a child, I had both my mother and my father in my home and, and they were there to help me when that black child went home, his dad was in jail and his mom was working two jobs to keep food on the table. So he had no parent at home. Yep. And And the difference isn't the education system. The difference is what, what that child had at home. Right. And we've, this all kind of goes back to the focus of life. Everyone's life revolves around their life outside of the home now where it's like a hundred years ago or previous to the industrial revolution, everyone's life revolved around the home. Husbands worked outside of the home. If you were a doctor, your office was probably in the front room of your house. Yeah. And so the industrial revolution kind of took men out of the home. The uh, feminist movement took women out of the home. Public schools took children out of the home. And now the home is just a roof that a bunch of people live under. And at, at eight o'clock at night where they go to bed and then they leave in the morning. Right. Right. And so the, you know, in taking fathers out of the home of replacing fathers with the state in a lot of ways you've also removed the mother because she has to go to work. And so statistically we know that, uh, you know, there's kind of three things that not, not guarantee, but make it more likely that you're going to be successful. Uh, Graduating from high school, having coming from a two parent home and not having a baby before you're financially ready or not having a baby outside of wedlock. But we also know that, um, Generally speaking, if there's strong men in the community, but you come from a a fatherless home, that your outcomes are better. And so a a lot of times in in, um, 
you know, below the soci- below the poverty line, the the men have been taken out of the the community in general altogether right. because they're they're in prison or their their role in the home is just not emphasized. And that's a problem. Like you went home to a home where someone cared about your education. I went home to a home where someone cared about my education. My brother paid a lot of money for me to go to private school. And so he expected me to uh, respect that investment. And so I was expected to do well in school. Right. If you go home and you have your latchkey kid or your parents are just busy doing other stuff, even if they're home, there's nobody there to like care. Right. And 91% of kids who drop out of high school, they cite that they don't feel like anyone feels personally invested in their education as a reason that they dropped out. Generally speaking, they're talking about someone at school, but that's not the state's job. Those are state employees. That's right. your parents' job. And so feminism is a problem. One, because it's taking women out of the home, but mostly because it has allowed us to fully just disengage from home life, period. Right. And really lose focus on on what raising children actually means, you know? Yeah, it's funny, like you just saying that, not only did it take women out of the home, but it changed who was raising the children too. It, it, and who, who the children belong to essentially. It's really interesting and We've been on for two hours recording now, and it is, I don't know what time, and I'm still uh, an employee in the real world. So. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, but I, it's funny because my daughter does go to public school, and um, I guess maybe someone else said this to me, and I'm, I'm going to like take ownership of it. And I can't even remember who it is that said it to me. And I'm really sad about that right now. But um, the reason that my daughter is in public school is because I am a great mother at home. I am very invested in additional learning or um, reinforced learning where we sit down and and discuss our values as a family and what, you know, what is important to us as a family and how does that, what did you discuss at school today? Is anything out of alignment with our core values? Let's talk about those things. Like I'm, I'm overly invested compared to what I would argue are many parents in today's society, but it's almost like there are so many children who are there that don't have that. My daughter can be, you know, someone who, who can help in that situation, right? Like she can stand up in the class and deliver a speech that the teacher probably isn't going to appreciate or enjoy, or the principal isn't going to appreciate or enjoy because she knows her mom will support her at home. She knows that she has the support of her family to speak. And I guess kind of, it's like working against the system from within the system. 
and for the kids who don't have the ability to. I private school's not an option and at this point neither is homeschooling. But you know, it I want to. This is again like our religious conversation that we had earlier. Like I would love to be at home full time with my kids. But I just it doesn't work at the moment. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I th- there's a lot of families in that situation, which is why, like, I always try to, to clarify, like, I'm very pro homeschooling if you can. But of course, I acknowledge that some people have situations where they can't. There are a um, lot of people that don't acknowledge that, though. Oh, I know. And I, I mean, and I would say that there's a lot of parents who say they can't, but they actually could, you know. And so, but you say you can't. And everything I know about you is that you are an involved conscious parent, conscientious parent. And so when you say that, I believe you, you know, like I have no reason to doubt you. I, I do think, like I said, a lot of parents, they say, Oh, I couldn't possibly. And it's like, no, you you could, like, you just don't want to. Um, But you acknowledge the fact that in some ways you have made being a parent harder by choosing to send your daughter to public school. Yes. And so, and you're making up for that. And I think the biggest problem comes in when people don't acknowledge that and they just say, Oh, my daughter's education, I've just turned it over to the state. And, you know, Vodi Bakum is a pastor that we like a lot. And he, he's really big on homeschooling. And one of the things he says is we can't send our children off to Caesar for eight hours a day and then be mad when they come back Romans. And so, you know, is, you know, but if you're doing what you need to do at home, I, it, it takes a lot of effort purse. I will say in some ways, me choosing homeschooling is me making a choice to make life easier on myself because I don't have the bandwidth to, I, I have to unindoctrinate my children now from what they've been taught you know, their whole lives until they got to me. Yeah. I can't imagine having to combat that constantly, you know, still. And so this is what we do. But if you make that acknowledgement and you make up the difference and you're involved at home, then you're doing what you need to do to take responsibility for your child's education. And I don't judge that. Like, right. that's because that's what you need to do. Um, but a lot of parents don't do that. And I, I really would just, you know, if your kids need to go to public school, okay, if that's what you say, I believe you, anyone listening, I don't mean you specifically, but like, you need to be involved, you need to look at what they're listening, what they're being taught, talk to them about what they're learning and take an active role in their education. Because learning shouldn't just happen at school anyway. You know, I'm not against private school. I'm generally against public school. I'm against any kind of state education. We are not libertarian, but we're probably kind of close. You know, I don't view it as like the state's job because the state's always going to want to produce what it needs. And right now it just needs compliant citizens. And so that's what it's producing. Right. And that's not that's not good. That's not what America is about. And so, um. You know, I went to public school from eighth grade on. I think I had like a pretty decent education. Um, But I also had somebody at home that was very invested in that and talked to me about a lot of things. Deuteronomy talks to us about, you know, 
teaching our children the laws of God, writing it on our doorframe, talking to them when they, when we walk down the street, when you sit in your house. And when I, when people ask me, you know, parenting advice, like my number one piece of quote unquote parenting advice, which is not, it's not some big mind blowing thing. We talk to our kids all the time about everything, you know, just constantly. It's just a constant dialogue of like whatever. And if you're doing that, then your children are going to be okay, you know, because they're getting what they need at home. But you don't want them to look at the adults at school as on par with you and your your spouse because yeah. they're not, you know. And I, I think it's caused a lot of disenfranchisement with kids because they don't view themselves as part of a unit in the family because there's not – there's this divide between everybody's life. And so that's really more of my, you know, kind of nuanced view, I guess, of like public schools. And if you need to like utilize that, um, I get it. Like I said, my personal opinion is that probably most people could homeschool if they wanted to, but it does take a certain amount of sacrifice. There's no doubt that at certain points, our life would have been easier if I had worked full time financially you know but that's a decision that we made early on that I just wasn't going to do and I have worked at different times when we first got married I worked uh not so much because we need the money but because I just needed like a little bit extra to do because my husband wasn't home all the time but um you know it's uh I think families the the most important thing is getting the focus back on the family and the family unit and what raising children really is and that they don't just like raise themselves. So if you're not, um, you know, like one of the sayings and like that goes around kind of Christian Twitter a lot is like, if you're not indoctrinating your children, somebody else will. And I, I know that the idea of indoctrinating, it has really bad connotations, but I mean, the fact is if you're not teaching your children what they need to know, someone else is going to. It's really interesting that you say that because what's happening right now, in my opinion, the latchkey kids are now raising their kids as latchkey kids. The difference is that the latchkey kids of our time didn't, the distractions that they had at home or going outside and climbing trees or, you know, maybe turning on a TV, but for the most part, like outside playing basketball, like go into your best friend's house for the day or whatever. The latchkey kids of today that are being left to their own devices are literally on devices. They're, and I said that wrong, (laughs) left to their own vices are on devices. Like they are, they're glued into TikTok and YouTube and whatever other Instagram and whatever other social media that's on these little devices that parents have handed them and they're being influenced. Even I would, I would almost argue more than school at this point, they're being influenced in ways that once it happens, like there's the amount of effort that would take to take that back is just astronomical. I see the difference and I'm, I mean, I'm sure you see this too. You have kids. I mean, I have an 11 year old daughter and mm-hmm. I watch her. She has zero access to anything at our home. 
um, she can get, you know, it's funny. You were talking about your brother's rules for you. I like, I really like your brother's rules because my daughter is probably going to live a very similar life to you. Like I, so she's, I, I don't know if I told you, she's a competitive gymnast. So she's in the gym three nights a week, four hours a night. And mm-hmm. which is a lot of time. And I'm not yeah. able to always stay at the gym because my four-year-old also plays baseball. So I'll be at baseball practice sometimes while she's at the gym. And I don't like, and I know this probably sounds incredibly like helicopter mom-ish, but um, given everything that's happened in the gymnastics world, plus there's injury related stuff, right? I like leaving her. I get yeah. it. She doesn't need me there. She doesn't need me to watch her all the time, but it's just a sport that it's hard to like be far away from her. So I did get her a cell phone. So for yeah. emergencies, if she needs to contact me, but she only has, it's a Nokia brick phone. It's an old school Nokia phone. It has no apps, no access to the internet. The only thing she can do on it is text. And yeah. um, it serves its purpose. Like, And that's all she'll have until she's an adult and does not live under my roof and pays her own phone bill. Um, yeah. I just and- did an episode about devices in our home. Um, but you definitely don't have to justify yourself to me in terms of not wanting to, I don't leave my kids places like that. You know, none of our kids right now do any kind of like organized sports, but our daughters in the past have done soccer and like a couple of different things. Um, but you know, when they have like art lessons and stuff, I just chill there. Like that's, um, I don't think that's helicoptering. I mean, especially when you're talking about something like gymnastics, that's just smart. Um, and it's good that she has a way to contact you. Our So our general rule is that if we can trust you to drive a car, we should be able to trust you to um, responsibly use a cell phone. And so I have a whole class that I make them take about um, John Doyle has this like two hour he calls it his like porn dissertation, <laughs> but it's all about how porn like harms you and all this stuff. So I make all the boys watch that. And we talk about responsible use of resources. And, um, you know, we make our kids use a Google voice number to text um, so that it's a shared number. Everybody right. has access Everyone. to like what you're texting. They're not allowed to keep them in the house. Um, cause you just don't need it here. You can actually use the Google voice number from, you know, we've got some desktops in our classroom that they can actually text from there, you know, cause it's a Google number. And I know people get really funny about Google, but I don't know another service that like allows this. I would gladly jump on it. Um, but I think there are a lot of options in terms of, you know, teaching your kids responsible cell phone use, but still monitoring. But we, we kind of view our parenting in that in that part of our parenting, we call it helicoptering from a distance. Right. Um, because it's like, we're monitoring everything. You probably could get away with something for a day or two, maybe a week, or maybe a month. I don't know. But we are going to find out eventually. And then the hammer comes out. You just lose all. If you're not trustworthy, you're not trustworthy. It is right. what it is. Um, but these are really complicated. Like, these are things that parents have to, to sort out. But and they my, choose not to. They, and mm-hmm. that's the thing. They just 
hand stuff off. So what I was saying is my daughter. Yeah, I'm sorry. I totally interrupted uh, you. No, no, you're fine. Uh, I see her with her peers now at this point because we're reaching like preteen level, right? And so new conversations are taking place uh, about, you know, whatever the kids are talking about these days. And I just, I see this stark contrast when I'm privy to interactions between Ainsley with her friends. And it's almost like she's so far behind because she's so sheltered from much of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they'll be talking about, they'll be using like slang terms that she doesn't understand and she doesn't ever let on. It's really cute to watch her because she doesn't let on that. She doesn't understand what they're talking about. But the moment that we get in the car, she's like, mama, what does this mean? You know? And it's like, it's, you know, she's, She's not resentful that she doesn't. And I think it's because like I have sat with my daughter and I watched the documentary. What is a woman? I sat with my daughter and Mm -hmm. I watched the social dilemma. Like we watch documentaries together all the time. And I try really hard to make it relevant for her so that she understands. And, you know, after she watched um, what is a woman, she started crying And, you know, it was a very, um, it was a great moment between she and I, because she was like, why would anyone do that to children? And it was, it was heartbreaking, you know, in that moment, trying to explain to her, you know, they think that they have good intentions. They think that they're helping And she said, it doesn't look like they're helping, you know, and because it, I don't know if you've seen the documentary or not, but yeah, I have, um, you know, the, the gentleman at the end where he's talking about like how much damage has been done to his body after all of his transition stuff, you know, and she's just, she's so heartbroken that someone encouraged that for such a long time. So, um, anyway, it, it, I I don't shelter her from the realities of the world. So I, for the listeners, I'm not saying that you think that, but for anyone listening, and I think the majority of my listeners know that about me already, but I, it is I who will introduce her to those things, right? Like, yes, it yeah. will be a conversation between her and I, not between her and a, a video on TikTok or her and a friend who saw yeah. a video on TikTok. Well, and we have like kind of a similar attitude our, with our daughters. We got them at two and four and that was like a whole thing. And that was like, you know, Tony calls them our million dollar girls for a reason. Cause we, we actually had to sue the state to be able to keep them because they wanted to take them out of our home afterward. But um, you know, with preserving their innocence at this point, they're nine and 11 And so we have been able to say like, no, we're the ones who are going to introduce these things and they're going to hear about it from us first. And I think that's actually one of the areas where a lot of Christian parents go wrong is that they, they shelter too much and don't give their children the tools that they need to deal with, you know, things that are happening in the real world. And I certainly understand the impulse, but I do think in some ways you're crippling your child when you do it that way. But then 
with our boys, I mean, they've already been exposed to this stuff, a lot of it. And so we have to deal with it in kind of a different way. But, you know, our girls don't have any, they are only allowed on the internet with direct supervision. So somebody has to be sitting next to them. We have, you know, one laptop that they're allowed to use with content blockers and, um, you know, so they can do, I don't know, research projects and stuff like that, but it's, they don't miss it. They have a lot of cousins who live the same way we do. And, um, you know, I see some of the same things when they're interacting with kids outside of like our family, um, you know, where they're, they're a little behind because they're unaware of all of this stuff, but I view them as so much happier and so much more age appropriate, honestly. Right. Yes. Like they, you know, yes. I think of the things that I knew at 11 and it's pretty much like what my daughters know. And that right. just seems normal, you know. And I was still playing with Barbies at 11. Yeah, same, same. Like, like <laughs> I, it's, I was still playing with my Cabbage Patch dolls and my Barbies and I was still uh, a kid. Yeah, I, the, I don't, I have a lot of issues with um, a lot of the like family influencer, you know, the family YouTubes and right. stuff because it's like what are you exposing your kids to um but then you see a lot of these kids and they're they're talking about all this stuff and it's like why do you know about any of this yeah. why do you know that it exists why is this a conversation that I have to have and yeah like we had a I'm sorry I don't mean to interrupt you but oh no you're the, fine like the only reason we sat down and watched what is a woman is because I was being asked questions about things she was being exposed to. Well, this is a familial situation. So I, it was kind of forced upon me. Like it is not something that she learned about in school. It's, but it was something that needed to be discussed. So we sat down and discussed it. And so it's, it's, it's been hard to like even keep their innocence because I d I'm not going to lie to her. I'm not going to, that's one thing yeah. I won't ever do. Like I'll, if she asks me a genuine question because she wants to know the answer, I know my daughter well enough, first of all, but second of all, I respect my daughter enough that because she trusts me to come to me and ask me, then I I don't want to say I owe her because I'm her mother, but I have. No, but I, I think you do. And right. honestly, like, I think that is the right train of thought that like you should respect your child's mind. That's what I was going to say. I have enough respect mm -hmm. for my daughter. If she's intelligent enough to ask the question and wonder if I'm not the one, this goes back to your point that you made a minute ago. If I'm not the one that gives her the answer, she'll go find it somewhere else. Yeah. Well, and it, it fully undermines your parent, your, your parental authority when your children find out that you've lied to them right. about something that is factual. The, the whole, um, even like people view it as so casual, but the idea of like telling your kids like, oh, the stork brings babies. Well, I don't, I'm not saying that you need to give a five-year-old the full birds and bees talk, right. but there's an age appropriate answer there. That's not a lie. 
right. you know, and I don't know that I don't think any child's like traumatized by being told about a stork or anything like that. That's just kind of a silly example. But if your children know that they can come to you and get the truth, then they're going to be more likely to come to you. Why would you go ask someone questions if you know they're going to lie or that they might right. and that you don't actually have the ability to know if they lied to you or not yet, you yeah. know? Because she doesn't have internet access, so she can't just, like, Google what you're saying. And so I think that's a great, I mean, I really think you do your kids a real disservice by, um, you know, choosing to lie to them to protect them. Because I do believe that ultimately it's going to probably come back and and bite you in the ass, you know. Um, And the the last thing you want to do is engage in behaviors that are going to cause your children to resent you. Um, and I, I think lying to them about the facts of the world is potentially one of those things. So don't get me wrong. Like there have still been questions that she's come to me and asked where it is not age appropriate for her to be asking the question. Yeah, sure. I'll have to say to her, that's just not something we're going to talk about right now. We'll talk about that in future years. And she kind of has learned to understand what that means. Like, that's just a big kid question. Um, But, but yeah, I I keep trying to say this and I keep interrupting my own self. Um, I watch her with her peers who do have unlimited and unfettered access to, you know, the social media type stuff or, or whatever. And behaviorally there is a stark contrast and I'm not saying that to be like oh my parenting is so great my kids are better than yours what I'm saying is if I look at my daughter and I say no no ma'am that's that's not okay immediately it's okay I apologize you know like she Mm -hmm. recognizes that that's not good behavior whereas in the contrast her peers do not react the same way. There are tantrums, there are entitlements, there are the dynamic and the relationship between the child and the parent is so melded and skewed that it, it, it scares me that there's that many people in that situation because they don't view their parents as their parent. They view Mm -hmm. the internet as their parent. Well, and this kind of goes, it's, there's this real egalitarian view of things. Like I've heard people <clears throat> make the argument, like, well, I can't tell my kids that they can't have social media because I have social media. That makes me a hypocrite. That's ridiculous. Right. You're like, adult. that is that's a ridiculous statement. You know, my kids and I are not equal. We're equal in value. Sure. But we are not equal. Like, they don't privilege. need social. Yeah. yeah, they don't need social media. It's, and uh, frankly, I'm on the fence about whether or not it's healthy for anybody. But it's definitely not healthy for kids. Sure. <laughs> like, yeah. And so it's, you know, that is, I think a lot of parents who just hand their kids, that is kind of what they're, they're teaching this idea that, you know, well, we're equal. And so, you know, if I tell you to do something, you don't want to, then, you know, pitching a fit is a, an age appropriate way to express that you don't want to do what you are being told to do. Whereas in your home, it's clearly known that like, you're the, you're the authority, you know? Mm -hmm. And so 
that's, you know, it, I think it does have to do with like, you know, the internet is raising some of these kids and probably I, a lot of times all of it goes together with just the general attitudes of the home. I don't know any kids who have unfettered access to the internet who behave very well. Right. Honestly, even up to 18. I mean, right. we don't have any, any real content blockers on my, my sons who drive. So, you know, 16 and older, technically speaking, they could be doing whatever on the internet, but I mean, we do keep an eye on, uh, you know, what they're using data for and how much data they're using. Um, you know, and we kind of view those years as like a dress rehearsal for adult life, but their friends who come over who have cell phones, I mean, I take them. We don't allow any unfettered access to the internet in our home. That just doesn't happen. Right. Um, and my children are not allowed to go to homes where that stuff is not like monitored. Right. But, and I, we don't really get a lot of flack for it from the kids, honestly, because they like being here. But we've done a lot to make sure that this is like a cool place to hang out. But they're just the way that they interact with their parents versus the way they interact even with us versus the way that, <laughs> you know, my kids interact with adults is like, it's fully different. And it's really interesting to me because like, like I said, my kids came with real behavioral problems, right. you know, and they don't, it's, it's, it's a totally different thing. And so I don't. I don't know. It's um, it's just really not good. And a lot of it is abdicating the the parental role of needing to actually like raise your children. We're going to probably get attacked hard on that one. I let my Wait, what? the internet, but I'm still a great mom. Wait, I'm sorry. What did you say? I said, we're probably going to get attacked for that one. I let my kids have the internet, but I'm still a great mom. Oh, like, yeah, I'm I don't. Not I literally anyone's parenting decisions. I'm just gonna disclose that right here and right now. Like how oh. you parent is your business, but yeah, I I wouldn't say I'm attacking you, but if you're a parent who just hands your child a smartphone, I would really encourage you to examine whether or not that's the best thing for you to do for your child. Right. You know, how do like, you feel after a day on the internet? Imagine right. kids on there. Right. They're way less able to emotionally regulate themselves and all of those things. But how do you feel after you spend a whole day on Twitter? You know, it's not sure. good. Or whole Instagram. Day on like, please scroll Instagram for two hours and tell me how you feel about yourself. After I, I don't even have Instagram. So I, I only have Twitter. Um, I'm pretty anti-Instagram in general, um, just because I think that it's really unhealthy, specifically for women. Yes. But... Um, you know, and we in fact, on so much, this was, supposed to be, <laughs> we're supposed to debate on here and have like kind of a back and forth. We're just like, oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, I agree. My, I posted a screenshot from my husband from like yesterday, um, that like a bunch of my, like a uh, reformed Twitter moms were talking about like their Stanley cups, which I guess is like a trend or whatever. And I had just, I've just ordered like a, a cup on Amazon that's not Stanley and I texted my husband and I was like do I need one of like is it are they better and he was like they're more expensive than our Yetis like that's do they keep your water colder I right, doubt it yeah. like whatever and I was he you know he said 
he literally he ended the conversation with like this is why you don't have instagram because <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like i did not even know that that was like a trend right. with uh white women apparently that like they all have the uh stanley cups because i'm not on instagram and i just kind of posted it with the you know i just said lol my husband saves himself so much grief by like okay monitoring. do you want to know hannah how like unattached to social media i am when you were talking about Stanley Cups, I thought you were talking about hockey and they had like <laughs> some sort of like personal reward or something. This their Stanley Cup was like their like their big reward for themselves. Like I thought it was something completely I love that. unrelated to cups. <laughs> I was like, when you started talking about you ordered one on, I was like, what are you talking about? Like I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay, but I love that. Like that's the right that's the right <laughs> attitude to have about social media. <laughs> like are we still talking about hockey? Like I feel yeah, like no, I no they're like insulated cups. That's you know. I but didn't they're know like until you said yeti. I was like <laughs> they're like fifty dollars and what? they have they yeah, they're like fifty bucks and they have a handle and it's become like a kind of basic white girl trendy thing and my understanding is that it was a lot of it was like fueled by instagram um according to my husband at least. um but yeah like they're more expensive than our yeti cups and it's like i don't know i just ordered a simply modern one i think that's the brand from like amazon for 20 bucks and it works great so, I go to Walmart and get the Ozark Trail ones. They're amazing. Those are really good. Yeah. 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 So I like, like this one because it was like slim and it'll fit in my cup holders. But, oh my gosh. Okay. Can we talk about that for a moment? So I have yeah. this water. It's like a jug. But I love the handle because I can just like slip two fingers in and then hold my keys and my purse and my computer bag. And like, so like, it's just very convenient. However, it does not fit in my cup holder and it drives me absolutely insane because I'll be driving and my cup may or may not end up in the floorboard because it rolls around everywhere, every curve that I take. And so I'm constantly without my water while I'm driving because my cup is unacceptable. Unacceptable. It is unacceptable. <laughs> so I have been on the search for, I don't know, probably three weeks now. I also don't go to Amazon for stuff like this, and I probably should. Okay. But I've been How looking. How big is it? It's huge. It's like a, I don't know, like a 30. It's just the shape. It's like a big round. It's just really big at the bottom. And yeah. I have another cup. So I do a total like side note. Um, I love designing cups. So like I do like custom epoxy cups where like I'll put the designs and stuff with my little cricket shit and like all of the. I was going to ask if you had a cricket. Like I, I want a cricket so badly. I like I need one. So much. I use it so much. Um, yeah. I we we use it as a family a lot like Ainsley's science fair projects and cards to give to people all of that kind of stuff it I will say if you if you want one you will justify the cost of one it it 
Oh, for sure. Like, so she's a homeschooling mom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, my sister-in-law has one and we live very communally. So essentially I have one, but you know, my husband will buy me one. That's not an issue. His whole thing is like, you literally just cannot take on any more projects right now. And if I get you this cricket, you're just going to be like putting monograms on everything yeah you know and we just don't have time for all this right now but uh you know I'll get a cricket eventually but I want one so I can yeah so I can put monograms yeah (laughs) I mean it's so much there's so much fun yeah but I made myself this really it's a badass cup it's and it's the 30 ounces but it has like the narrow bottom so that I can put it in my cup holder but I lost the lid for it so I'm oh, in like no. this, this cup hell where I don't have what I need. <laughs> and so I've been searching, but okay. Well, I'll send you a link to. I don't. Mine is 24 ounces. I think they do make one that's bigger, um, and they make one with a handle. I didn't get the handle one, but I'll send you the link, and you can explore what they've got. But. I think they're specifically slim to fit it. That is their claim to fame is that they fit into the cup holders. Yep. So well, send me the link. So I, I will send you the link. I'm a big fan of it. I don't know if it's better than the Stanley, but I, I like it better than the Yeti because it has a straw. Like oh, the Yeti. That's we... the other thing. My other mm-hmm. one, my big, huge jug has a straw. And I love that because I don't have like, I don't have to deal with like the cup lid slipping and spilling or whatever. Yeah. Anytime I, those cup lids, like they're fine for coffee, but ultimately like I end up just spilling water all over myself and stuff. Like (laughs) I like the straw. I have never had a cup of coffee before. So what? Yeah. Um, so I'll tell you the funny story and then I'm going to end the stream, not because I don't want to keep talking to you, but because I'm not going to be awake in the morning. Um, so when I was younger, my dad would drink like four pots of coffee a day. Like he drank coffee from the time he woke up in the morning until the time he went to bed. And both of my parents, like, they wouldn't even speak to one another before they'd had their first cup of coffee in the morning. It was like a necessity. And they knew that about one another. They're like, we're just not even going to communicate until we've had coffee. And so at, like, the age of 12, I was like, I'm never drinking coffee. If this is how you have to live your life by being dependent on this drug I'm never going to drink coffee. You know, I was just, I was, (laughs) I was like, I'm not doing it. So then as I got older, right, I'm, I'm an adult now. And my dad is like, why don't you come have a cup of coffee with me? You know, like, and, and so then it was like a joke, right? Like, nope, not having coffee. You're not going to get me started on it. It's a gateway drug, you know, like it just jokes between me and my dad. Right. Right. Well, then my dad died. And so from that point moving forward, I was like, I can never let my first cup of coffee not be with my dad and he's not here. So I just won't ever drink coffee. And so I haven't, I've never had a cup and I never will. Well, good for you. If that's (laughs) like a personal conviction, I support that. I, we are pretty coffee dependent in my home. Um, (laughs) 
So most don't people even, are. I'm, yeah. If you give me an, a Celsius energy drink, I will disappoint you every single time and drink that. Well, see, I'm very anti-energy drink, but I'm super <laughs> pro coffee. Um, but I would we don't not speak to each other before you have coffee or anything like that. I think that's probably you know, that's a little much, but I, I know people like that. They say, you know, and I have a lot of friends who have the cups that are like, don't talk to mom before she has her coffee, like <laughs> kind of a thing. And I kind of view that as like, it's just early morning wine mom culture, right. you know, to kind of have that like attitude. So I don't, I don't do all that. I never want my children to like think they can't talk to me because I haven't okay. had a beverage, but I don't know. We are big fans of coffee in general, but I get, I get where you're coming from. You know, if that's a personal conviction you have, I support that. You know? Yeah. So. It was unintentional, but that's what happened. So I get it. I, All right. You know. For everyone who has tuned in, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Um, it expanded far beyond, I think what Hannah and I either one thought that it was going to be, but um I'm so grateful to you, Hannah, for coming on with me. I I appreciate your husband giving you permission to sit down with me. And I'm sure he spoke through you. And, and this isn't any of your <laughs> real words. This is all him. But no, I'm just I'm kidding for anyone listening. <laughs> Hannah, you've been spectacular. I love this. Um, we will have to do it again. This will be something that um, I, I would also uh, like to invite you and maybe even your husband together. I don't know how he would feel about that, but um, we have a live stream that we do on Sundays. It's called Patriots and Petticoats. And I think that this vein of conversation would be a really good addition to that as well. Um, but- I'm down. I don't know if he'll do it. He's very you know, not super social, but I'm sure that he would be like down with me doing it. Um, so we'll see, um, but that would be great. I really appreciate you having me. This has been really like a lot of fun. Um, so I love having conversations with people who, uh, you know, we view things a lot differently, but also not at the same time. And that is one of the blessings of Twitter. I think yeah. is being able to, connect with people that, you know, live very differently, but then we share a lot of similar values and still, you know, uh, I don't know, we're still just like normal people who are living life. And, um, you know, Twitter has a lot of like pitfalls and it can be totally toxic, but also it has a lot of like blessings if you're looking for it. Absolutely. Yes. 100%. I think I always made this joke and it's really kind of come true to life. Um, Facebook is the people that you know in real life. Twitter is the people you wish you knew in real life. Yeah, that's. I think that's totally true. I closed my Facebook down because I couldn't deal with how stupid so many of the people in my real life are. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm saying. Like you, and that's not, I'm not knocking people that I'm friends with in real life, but the people who I'm friends with on Twitter that I have developed relationships with, I, I wish that they were closer to me so that I could have, you know, real life relationships with them is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. (laughs) I love my, my in real life friends, but you know, sometimes like you guys, this is, this name is just very inaccurate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
Hannah, before I let you go one more time, will you tell people where they can find you? I know you said you're on Podbean and that's pushing out to Spotify. Spotify. And I think it is on Google Podcasts too. And maybe I'll be on Apple <laughs> eventually. Who knows? Sorry, that's Lucy, you guys. Um, she is the real star of the show. But um, so, uh, and it's Patriarchy but, Country. That's what yeah. it's called. It's okay. called Patriarchy Country, and it's really just me talking to, like, Twitter mutuals about stuff, so it's not, uh, you know, it's not political too much or anything like that, but it is a good time. There's a lot of giggling, and you can find me on Twitter at Harmonized Grace, and my DMs are closed, but if you want to have a conversation, you can. My husband's at is in my bio, and if you write him you will let me know that you want to talk to me and I'll DM you. <laughs> so like <laughs> that works. It just works for us. Um, you know, cause I just get a lot of crazy DMs. I used to have them open cause I thought they were fun, but it just got to be like a little much. Overwhelming. So, yeah. Well, yeah. And yeah. aggressive. Like you. Yeah. Yes. Some of them are like really aggressive and I used to find it funny and then it, I don't know. It just wears on you, you know? It does. So, Go and through let the your kids, Let your kids hang out on a place where an adult gets overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you All so right. much, Heather. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, everyone who tuned in. Love you guys. You guys take care and be good to one another. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to be notified whenever we have another episode come up, please subscribe. We are available on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. Please make it a great day in America. This is the country where few people leave, too many people want to enter, and dead people still vote. Take care. I know not what course others may take but as for me give me liberty or give me death